And we're live. Hi. What's up, everybody? <laughs> I'm here with the one, the only, the Jess Baker. That is me. How's your day been, Jess? It's been good. Yeah. Happy to be here. So you work super early. What do you What do you do again? I do. I work for the Navy. Not in the Navy. Yeah. Civilian. Uh, and I do modeling and simulation stuff. So I sit behind a computer at a desk all day. What do you, like, do you, what, modeling and simulation? So computer models, we make models of weapons and ships and all that stuff, and then you run them against each other, and then see who wins. I mean, the idea is to try to see... That's amazing! <laughs> yeah, it's cool stuff. Um, you know, the idea is ultimately you can test stuff on a computer way cheaper and way quicker yeah. than you could do in real, in water. Uh, How much of this are you allowed to talk about? Can I dive deep? Uh, not too deep. Okay. <laughs> I mean, but are you are you simulating like what it looks like for a submarine to attack a ship, or a ship attack a submarine, or like how this works against that, and you're just simulating like battles? Yeah. So there's people that do every level. I do more nitty gritty because I have a science background. Yeah. And there's people that do like big, you know, theater wide. Oh, okay. Battles, and I'm sort of more in a detail. Uh, like, what does that mean? You're on the soldier level versus the... Yeah, versus, like, the big army battle. So I take I do a little piece, and then it goes I into see. a bigger piece and a bigger piece. Can you piece. talk about the little piece you do? Weapons. <laughs> <laughs> the cool stuff. Things that go boom. That's awesome. Yeah. So you, you, you create models around how your specific weapon works in various combat environments. Yeah. And the idea is to inform the warfighter... If yeah. I see this coming at me, what do I do or how to, you know. Oh, okay. So you take your models and simulations and then you create strategic policy. Yeah. And then the hope, fingers crossed, is that that, that distills down into training commands and gets implemented in the fleet on a tactical level. Right, right. Or advising people, you know, what we need to build or what we need to do. You know, advising the big Navy, uh, all the stuff that they're doing, they're testing in water, doing all these runs yeah. and things. But you can just do it way cheaper and you can do things yeah. like... What if I put this crazy propeller on something that maybe isn't physical yet, but you can try it out yeah, yeah. on a computer because yeah. click a button that you can do in, in water. That's pretty cool. So yeah. you're you're on the side of things because I would imagine in this world there's a lot of just programmers who create like they don't really care so much about what it is they're programming. They're just ma- making like an amazing video game. Yeah. And yeah. then there's people who interpret the data. Um, so I would imagine there's a lot of people who, you know, whatever, they don't care specifically about the weapons or the strategery. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. So I'm trying to be the border between those people. So I work with the like amazingly brilliant coding programmers and then I work with the, you know, big Navy folk and I try to talk between the two. Oh, okay. That's awesome. And it's just for Navy people then. Yeah. So I'm just Navy. Does your world do, like, Marines and Army and Air Force? Or I mean, not that Air Force really has much to simulate. <laughs> it's really easy to simulate the effectiveness of a nap. <laughs> so <laughs> I love that. So I have no military background. Yeah. I just, like, found this job. And it's been so fun to, like, I feel like I can pick on the Air Force because mm-hmm. I know that's, like, what you need to That's what you do. do. Yeah. yeah. And you come so in swinging. To, like, when in doubt, part of it. make yeah. fun of the Air Force. <laughs> Like you can you can always make fun of any branch that you're that you're not a part yeah, of. Yeah. But default is <laughs> the Air Force. Yeah. And what I found is like like it's it's all about attacking, right? Because if you don't if you don't attack, mm. then they're gonna attack you. And like exactly. there's there's nothing worse than an Air Force person trying to make fun of a Navy <laughs> person. It's like come on. Yeah. Jeez. Like <laughs> we do your job better than you do your job. Like our pilots <laughs> yeah, yeah, land on moving too. ships. Yeah. Right. Yeah. 
But it, I mean, it is a joke, right? <laughs> yeah, no, exactly. I mean, for, except for West Point, like the Naval Academy West Point <laughs> thing, that's legit. That's, that's a real, <laughs> that's, real battle. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. I was going to, I, I go to this this new church called King's Church, and there's a guy who's there. Uh, West Point graduate, his wife's West Point graduate, right. and they have a son at West Point. And I was like, man, I might have to change churches. <laughs> yeah, <that's laughs> I don't know if God likes them. <laughs> Obviously, yeah. that's a joke. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Stating that. I feel like you have to say that sometimes. <laughs> Just people know, yeah. Uh, but yeah, so that's been a cool side of things, learning yeah. this whole thing. So yeah, there's modeling across all the different yeah. branches. Uh, and I work with other branches a little bit, but... Uh, so not being affiliated, or not being a, like coming from a military branch, do you find that making fun of the Air Force, do you, does it work? Is it enjoyable for you? Yeah, other than I don't <laughs> want to say something like, that's like You don't not, want to cross the line. Yeah, yeah. You want to, you want to rib, you don't want to punch. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Like poke fun in like a very lighthearted yeah. way. But I, I understand like <laughs> I have not paid my dues to be able to really poke fun. Yeah. So. Yeah, it's a, de- it's a, it's a delicate dance. Yeah. Um, do you find that working in, like working so closely with military without military experience is, um, yeah, just describe describe how that works. Yeah, it's tough. I mean, especially first coming in, it, you know, everyone jokes about the acronyms, but that is not, it's a real thing. Like, everybody yeah. speaks in code, and I don't know what any of these words mean. Yeah. And I remember, like, my first day on the job, some poor guy sitting next to me, like, could just see the blank stare on my face <laughs> and would just, like, translate all the acronyms like, for what me. What is this? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, and just, just the whole world. I mean, I work, thankfully, oh, not thankfully, but I work with a lot of civilians, so I'm not the yeah. only one. But even out of the civilians, two-thirds of them are retired military. Right. So there's not a ton of us that, you know, just coming in fresh. Yeah. Uh, but, you know, I don't have, I think my grandfather was in the Army, but other than that, I don't have a ton of military in my family. So it was like a whole new world. Yeah. And it gave me an incredible respect. I mean, I, I respected people before, but I never experience it the same way yeah and well sometimes experience with maybe people can can lead you to the other end of the conclusion it's like man these people suck i guess i probably see them in like their best i see them at the workplace and not like at a bar after a thing yeah. but yeah i mean the the stuff that these people know just from you know i came in right out of grad school and was feeling a little pretentious yeah and i mean these guys can blow me out of the water on all kinds of things and they don't have degrees right but they just have experience yeah and it really speaks to the value of just experience like life experience and then like experience doing the things that are that are being done i was in a similar situation like minus the pretension (laughs) (laughs) but coming out coming out of college you go to you know or i I selected submarines so you go to nuclear power school you 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 basically go to a year of schooling Mm -hmm. and you learn all the theory and practical application of nuclear reactors and then you show up to the submarine and it's a totally different reactor, so you need to learn it. And technically, technically, like on paper, you're a division officer. And on paper, the division officer is in charge of the chief in the division, you know. But, I mean, the, the chief, so I was, my first job was the electrical assistant. Uh, so I was the EA. And the electrical assistant is, you know, the EDIV chief. And then within the electrical division, you have first class petty officers and second class petty officers. And I mean, all the way down to like the seamen, the the fresh yeah. out of high school, fresh out of boot camp people who are like, they're going to be EDIVers one day. Right. And so showing up and like on paper being the leader of those people, but really like just learning like learning, like learning what the role of an officer is, learning what the how the submarine works, learning how the chief works, learning like just learning is such like it's it's really hard. Yeah, yeah, it's, it's humbling. Yeah, it's, for sure. Yeah. 
and you know, cause you're going to make mistakes and you're going to, you're going to accidentally go behind the chief's back or you're going <laughs> to, you know, whatever here and you're not going to, or you're going to give the chief too much leeway. And then the captain's going to talk to you. Uh, and it's just, <laughs> you know, it's just figuring out your role in like in that dynamic mm-hmm. is so, uh, yeah, I had a, I had a really hard time with that yeah. for sure. The whole chain of command thing. Yeah. I mean, in the past, you know, I've had supervisors and bosses and you know, other things, but it's, I've never had that concept of you have to go to point person A before you go to person B, and if you go over that, they're going to get... It's just... Yeah. It's a whole new thing, and I, I see the purpose of it. I can also see some flaws in it sometimes, uh, but it, it it's just... Yeah. It's new territory, and yeah, so it's you like you're learning a whole new rule book. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I, like, I went to the Naval Academy, and so in theory, I should have known the rule book. <laughs> I would have seen they drill that in. But you don't know the rule book until you're in that community, until mm-hmm. you're in that environment, and then, and then, you know, there's some common sense stuff, like, like I'm gonna correct an Edev chief on his knowledge of electrical systems on the submarine like no chief i think your <laughs> maintenance strategy here is is fundamentally flawed right that's silly yeah but then it's it's also it's also kind of awkward as you get more and more senior it's figuring out okay now now i now i understand my role and it's like that first time you battle the chief and you're like oh, oh man yeah oh how's this going to end yeah, <laughs> yeah or the first time you just let the chief walk over you and you don't battle the chief right. and then now you're like oh well Man, I guess I'm just a weak person. It's it's tough, but it's it's. I really like having that experience so young, so so young in life, uh, because it it forces you to to like it forces you to really learn and think about you know all of those all of those angles. I I remember leaving the submarine and significantly questioning what skills I had in life. I remember I had to jump my car because the battery was dead and I called an electrician from the boat because I had no clue how to do it. <laughs> but you know how to find the right person. That's yeah, I guess. <laughs> and like the whole thing on the boat is, you know, officers don't touch. They lead. Uh, it's like if you see a screw in the floorboard loose, you find the person whose job it is to tighten the screw and yeah. like you just can't screw it. And it, it feels so awkward to find you and you screwing the screw board and I watch you do it. Yeah. It's like, ah, look at me and my authority. <laughs> It, but that's also it. That's how it works in life, you know. If 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 the captain walks by and tightens screwboards, then everyone thinks, "Oh, well, the captain tightens screwboards." Yeah. Right. I don't know. It's you know, that's an interesting. I think about going. So I went. We have the exact opposite experience, I guess. Yeah. So I went yeah. into it, and you right. went into the civilian, and yeah, and how that changes stuff. And yeah. So what's your experience with that, like that dynamic as with without the military experience? Because I think I, I also think without the military experience is valuable experience, like not, without coming in with all of the, all of the, um, brainwashing for lack of a better word, like you, you have a more fresh perspective, I would imagine. Yeah. Just, I guess like not being intimidated to go to somebody two levels ahead of you, you know, you can go to them and you're not just, it's not such a strict chain of command. I think things, maybe different offices have things differently, but, uh, you know, there's not like a rule and you just follow this rule by this book. Yeah. You know, things can all be a little more, a little more loose in the civilian world. Yeah. You can just screw a thing into the floorboard <laughs> and no one's going to freak out next time you do it. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I guess that makes sense. So, so sort of the, the value of your perspective is not, not as blindly tied to the military things. Yeah, and that's... I mean, my building is sort of half and half. It's a good mix. Yeah. And the military people 
are very understanding, especially those of us that are just civilians right. that don't have. I mean, they. I sort of expected them to be really hard on me for not following by the book whatever I was supposed to follow or yeah. using the wrong acronym or something. Uh, and I, I, I really like working in that setting because I'm good at following. If I'm told the rule, I will follow it. Yeah. I'm good at that. Uh, but so it's yeah, it's been a good setting. I think it's a good setting for me, but I can see. Some people might not quite yeah. <laughs> mix with it well. Yeah, I was not good at the here's the rule, follow it. <laughs> <laughs> that was not my strong suit. And uh, that might be why I didn't do uh, terribly well at the Naval Academy. <laughs> I think that might be another story. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> but, yeah, it, I'm, I'm always fascinated by, you know, office dynamics or work dynamics. And, you know, even in the gym, I'm fascinated by that dynamic, you know. Yeah, like, yeah. It's, it's really... I, I never really thought about leadership as something that is a skill set mm-hmm. until really I left the Navy, which is the great <laughs> irony yeah, of yeah. my life. That because that was your training. Yeah, exactly. At the, Naval, at the Naval Academy, they're like, this is leadership. And then everyone I knew at the Naval, not, not everyone, I, I, there was one officer at the Naval Academy that I respected. Oh, no. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Is that a common experience at- I don't know. Yeah. That was my experience. Yeah, yeah. I and, and maybe it's just my perspective. Maybe I was maybe I was young and immature and I thought I knew better than everybody, but I'm fairly confident categorically I met some terrible leaders. Oh, sure, yeah. And I learned I sort of learned leadership by like what not to do. But I didn't think that was leadership. I thought it was like rebelliorship. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. It was it was really weird. And then I got to the real navy and the real navy was filled with real people like normal humans who, <laughs> who were much more rational, who, I guess, I guess the difference was at the Naval Academy, you're playing like pretend military. Mm-hmm. You're not actual military, even right. though you technically are, but in, on the submarine, you're playing real military. <laughs> yeah. Like, this is it. The stakes are real. Yeah. Like I understand what not listening to the captain does to a submarine. Not that I ever did that, captain <laughs> did, but anyway, yeah. So do you find do you find that did you have a non-military office experience before this? Not really. Okay. So I just had grad school, okay. and so I've had supervisors and coworkers yeah, in yeah. some form. But academia is also like a whole other beast. So I didn't have like a formal work yeah. experience at some elsewhere. Yeah. But the and I only had this one experience in the military, so it's hard to say. Right. But all of the high-ranking military people in my building or that I've interacted with from afar because I don't <laughs> I don't have the seniority to be talking to these guys in close-up uh, are amazing. Yeah. I mean, I feel like you can tell how they got to where they got to. For sure. Because they're, like, so good and passionate. And yeah. I so. mean, that was my experience outside of the Naval Academy. Yeah. For sure. Outside, the, outside of the Naval Academy, I met the best humans literally I've ever met yeah. and they're incredible and their impact on my life was 100% positive. Right. It's just weird how, how places pile bad people. And maybe, maybe I just had a really bad experience, but you know, I'm not, I don't want to sit here <laughs> and try to been a rough couple of years. Yeah. Yeah. But I don't know. Like it's what, what level of, what level of leadership are the people that you're talking about that you understand why they're so great? Are they like generals? The, the head admirals? of our building is, uh, uh, admirals, two star. Okay. And then yeah. a couple captains and things around. Yeah. Uh, and yeah, they're, they're that perfect kind of leader that you don't even know they're leading. They're building everyone else up around them, so you're not even... Yeah. You don't notice they're leading until you realize, like, everyone around them is really successful all of a sudden. Yeah. And that's, I mean, so hard to do. Yeah. And That's I mean, a really good point. Uh, 
yeah, the, the idea of like great leaders don't like you, you almost don't notice the fact that they're leading yeah. in a way. That's some, yeah, that's, that's really interesting. How do you think they do that? Oh, man, that's a good question. I think it's, I think it's being aware. I think when you get to that level of seniority, it's got to be so hard to not have such an ego. I mean, everyone stands <laughs> when you walk into a room and, yeah. you know, so to somehow, maybe it's the mindfulness and other stuff too, I'm not sure, but to somehow be conscious enough to, you know, not have that ego and to support the people around you and call other people out when they did good work. I mean, I don't know how they do that. Hopefully I'll figure it out someday. <laughs> that sounds, sounds The useful. ego thing is really interesting. So you think, so the people that you notice that you respect in your office uh, don't carry that ego that you might imagine one would have when, you know, attention on deck. Yeah. Sir, yeah. yes, sir. Everything you, everything you say, sir. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. You've got people, you have a staff following you around. It's, I mean, yeah. <laughs> how do you still you know, smile and say hi, good morning to like a schmuck like me walking in the hall. Like it blows my mind. Yeah. My experience is they don't, they don't see you as schmucks. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. Like, but, was, but how do you not? I feel like if I was in that place, I'd be like, lowlings, what are you doing? Well, that's a good point. That's a really good point. And I, you know, it might be the difference in perspective of how you see your role. Cause if if, if you're new into the workforce, you only really understand your role and maybe your boss's role, mm-hmm. like truly. Yeah. You know, you almost have to do a job before you can comprehend what that job is. And so, you know, like I never really thought about the role of a captain or the role of a, of a department head until it was like, oh, well, my next job is going to be department head. <laughs> do I want that role? Like, yeah. do I want to do that? And my consciousness around what that is never really, you know, matured, I guess, until... I was senior enough to sort of see it across the horizon. And, but in, in my little world as, as being a uh, junior officer, I knew the significance of a chief Mm -hmm. and I knew the significance of a third class petty officer. And I knew the significance of my messenger when I was the officer of the deck, like the lowest guy on the boat. He's not qualified to do, he's (laughs) literally not qualified to do anything. He got out of boot camp yesterday. He's the first thing you qualify on the boat is to steer the ship. Which sounds like it's a really important, it's certainly important, but literally all you're doing is I tell you to go to 355 and you keep it on 355. And then I say, turn left and you turn left. (laughs) Like that's your job, right? And that's a really important job, but it doesn't take much skill. Mm -hmm. And the messenger's job is below that. (laughs) Okay. (laughs) So the messenger's job in the submarine is literally to wake people up, make sure they're awake for their watch. And to get people coffee. <laughs> no. And to find people. Yeah, yeah. That's it. Hey, find this person. Have them report to this room. Okay. Because there's no, like, pager system. Yeah. And so, like, I knew how important those people were, right? Right. And so did the captain because the captain was a J.O. also. And I think the, the best leaders retain that perspective yeah. of where they were when they relied on that person. You know, like, I relied on a chief. So now I, I fully understand what the what the role of a chief is. I guess maybe it's a little empathy, you know. Yeah, and I think it's that remembering because <laughs> yeah. like knowing you know where you were back in the day because nobody started you know as a captain like right. you started somewhere else and you got there. Started from the bottom. Now I'm here. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> yeah, yeah. That's that's it. We figured it out. Yeah. We solved that's we solved <laughs> leadership. <laughs> Done. Remember, yeah. Remember where you came from. Yeah. Do you like? Are you in charge of anyone? Uh, no. No. Not really. No. <laughs> <laughs> and I'm, you know, I'm deciding. I've only been in the workforce really for like two years now. So yeah. 
I'm in a couple of years. I'll start to decide if I want to go into like a management route, yeah, or not. And I, I don't know. But it's sort of that point of that's at some point I'll start to decide if those are paths I want to take. Yeah, uh, yeah. And it, and at that point you'll start to like wrap your head around what it means. Like, yeah. what what is my job again? <laughs> yeah, Do well, I really want to be that person who <laughs> does those things? Yeah, I don't know. yeah. I don't know. Yeah, because. You know, I, I went to the Naval Academy. My dad went. My sister went. Yeah. <laughs> I went. You know, I didn't really even wrap my head around completely the idea that, like, w- really what an officer in the Navy was. Like, I majored in computer science, and I was like, oh, well, when I get into the Navy, I'll work on computers. Nope. <laughs> it's not what you do. <laughs> not how that worked. Nope. Uh, yeah. That's – what do you? What are your thoughts on, you know, um, like, leading up – if that makes sense. Like yeah. leading up the chain of command. Yeah. We've actually had like... Uh, Training on that? <laughs> no, like meetings discussing how to like flip the pyramid mm. and have, yeah, leadership and ideas go up. Uh, sounds like a great idea, but it's got to cut... There's got to be somebody at the top that's willing to hear from the bottom. And again, I think good leadership does that. Yeah. But bad leadership doesn't. And <laughs> so you can't change that from the bottom. I think it has to be... Possibly. Yeah. I've been doing a lot of reading. Have you? Are you familiar with Jocko Willink? I don't think so. He talks about extreme ownership. He's a Navy SEAL, and he talks <laughs> about how the Navy SEALs lead, how the greatest teams on the planet oh, execute leadership. <laughs> and it's it's really fascinating. I, I, I joke about Jocko because he's kind of this character who's like this amazingly inspirational, amazing human, and he's he's so like black and white. He's like, <laughs> wake up at 4.30, train, <laughs> do your work. Like... Like, Jocko, what are your thoughts on email? And his answer is reply or delete. <laughs> <laughs> you know, it's like yeah, very, yeah, just... very military. <laughs> yep. uh, but he, he offered some perspective on leadership that I thought was really interesting. And it's the idea that um, you, need, you need to cultivate command buy-in. And a lot of times, a lot of times subordinates, like I, I was certainly guilty of this in, in the submarine at the Naval Academy. Like I would just, I, I, didn't understand why why it is that you wanted me to do something, and so I kind of rebelled against everything that you wanted me to do. Mm-hmm. Like, oh, you want me to cut my hair and shine my shoes and do this? Well, screw that. I'm not going to do any of that. <laughs> and then I wondered why they didn't take my ideas seriously. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you know? Yeah. And Jocko's point was buy into the, all the little things mm-hmm. so that, like, basically make your disagreements matter. Right. If you're disagreeing on everything, then your disagreements don't matter. Yeah. Maybe. Yeah. I don't know. Yeah. It seems reasonable. Yeah. I, I can appreciate that. That's cool. <laughs> So do you see, um, yeah, like how do you, like, do you think of your job more as like military or more civilian or like how do you see yourself? Do you see your, like, do you see yourself as part of the, you know, the the fifth branch of the military? I'm going to offend some Coast Guard people. The sixth <laughs> branch, I'm going to offend somebody. Yeah, like, yeah. do you see yourself as the, the military support, like part of the team or do you, is it just a job? Yeah, yeah, we really do. Like, they really emphasize that we're part of the Navy, we're one and the same and we work for them and yeah. they, you know, I mean, for all the intents for my thing says I'm paid by the Navy. Like that's what I signed up yeah. for. So yeah. And they, and all the military people emphasize that. That's cool. And so I definitely see my, and that's why I love that I can in a tiny little way and all the, like the, I don't want to say pomp and circumstance. I don't mean it in a show many way, but all the ceremony around yeah. the military is, is amazing. And it's fascinating. And sometimes it's like way overkill, but I really enjoy it. Me too. And like, didn't know any. Thank goodness, one of my supervisors told me about was it colors where they raise the flag. Like, yeah. I didn't know I was supposed to stop. Like, nobody in my life, in my outside life, you know, I would just keep walking. Like, they're playing the national. I'm like, supposed to stop, and I wouldn't know that. And yeah. Like, 
there's so much, so many things right. that are cool, that are fascinating. Yeah, yeah, I, I completely agree. Again, yeah. after leaving the Naval Academy, I realized the importance of some of these, like, ceremonial things, yeah. right? You know, it's, to me, so every time you, you walk across the brow of a submarine, so the submarine's on the pier, and then they lower a brow, and the brow's how you get to the boat. You stop halfway through, you salute the flag, you stand at attention, you salute the flag, and then you get back on. And it's like, oh, you know, when you're really busy and you're walking across the barrel like three or four times, like, God, <laughs> oh. but then it serves as a constant reminder of why you're, you're there, yeah. you know? And I think it's, it's a unifying rally cry for the purpose and the mission, because right. we can disagree on policy of coffee cups and <laughs> cup holders. We, we don't disagree on the, the policy of, you know, defending America because yeah. that's what we signed up for. Right. That sort of concept. So. I like some of the pomp and circumstance <laughs> for that regard because yeah. it reinforces it reinforces ideals that I think are really important to be reinforced. Yeah, and yeah, honestly, I don't, I don't, I don't have those in my civilian life, and I feel less connected mm-hmm. in a way. Yeah, I don't know. Yeah, so I really. I'm not in the military, but I do feel connected to it in a way that I absolutely wouldn't have had I not been working where I am. And I really appreciate getting to start to know some of these things and be aware of some of these things. And Have you found some them. of the more odd traditions? Probably. I don't know. Like challenge coins? Oh, yeah. I haven't gotten a coin, but I've heard all about them. Yeah. Those are kind of cool. Yeah, I thought about I'm, making an old city challenge coin. Oh, I like it. I, I like it. It would be pretty sweet. I don't know how many people would get it, but... <laughs> Yeah. Yeah, my building has some, so I feel like I could I could potentially get one someday. Yeah. I think it's and then cool. you can like make a rack with all yeah, the challenge yeah. coins. Love that stuff. People can can judge your worth based <laughs> on your collection of challenge yep, coins. Yep. Yeah. <laughs> um, that's cool. Yeah. That's sweet. So that's been neat. What's your favorite? Uh, like, have you been? Have you been into the real navy? Have you been to the fleet? We they did a thing where we went down to like Virginia Beach. It was like, you know, all civilians, come see what a boat looks like. Like, really newbie stuff. Um, I didn't get to go on a sub, and I was so bummed. You should be. I really wanted Super to. Super bummed. Uh, we went on an aircraft carrier, which was cool, but there was no no planes at the time. So yeah. it was just like a big empty hangar. Yeah. Uh, and they were like doing a lot of painting. It didn't look fun. Yeah, that's all, that's all the Navy. That's <laughs> all you do. Like, if you enlist in the Navy, you are signing up to be a painter, basically. Yeah, yeah. Um, the aircraft carrier is, I mean, I guess probably the coolest thing we saw. But we got to see a handful of ships, which is neat. But otherwise, I I mean, I really just sit behind a desk most of the time. So yeah. I haven't gotten to, like, really see anything. And they keep talking about there's, like, chances that maybe we could get out on, like, a ship for a couple days or something. Yeah. And I would love to do that if they let me. I'm not sure about a sub. I, I think it would be really fun because women can go on subs now. I think it would yeah. be really fun. But I also think the second... I realized I was underwater. I might, like, mentally break down. It's weird. You you think that you might, but you probably won't. Right. And, for the record, women were allowed to ride submarines in the uh, past. Okay. So, like, we all the time had civilian riders and female midshipmen would come oh, on. I didn't know that. And civilian, you know, intelligence people mm-hmm. would ride with us. Uh, it's just they weren't allowed to serve on. Gotcha. Which, you know, now they can. Yeah. Which is so, cool. So, here's my other question. Yeah. Do you guys really hate those riders? Like, because you're like in their way, you're taking their bunk, like. It depends. Yeah. It depends. There's there's certainly rider etiquette. Okay. Which, if they don't, they need to. They, that needs to be training. Yeah. Right. Because, on on a fast attack submarine, 
about a third, maybe sometimes as much as two thirds of the crew is is hot racking. So right. two people share three beds, and the most junior of which alternates back and forth between the bed when it's empty. And so, uh, yeah, you're you're putting more people into that situation. But I mean, whatever. Submariners know that, especially when you're when you're junior, you know that that's part of the deal. Yeah. Whatever. And so there's there's riders who who and, and also it, it, it largely depends what you're there for. You know, like if you're there to learn about the submarine and to experience the military and literally all you do is sleep, watch movies and eat the good pizza right when it comes out. Well, that's not that's yeah. not good etiquette. Right. But if you're if you're going out and you're engaging with the guys and you're like, hey, can, can you tell me about the torpedo? <laughs> like most people love to talk about what they do, okay. you know? And so if you're engaging and if you're like passionate about what people's, mm-hmm. you can be too passionate. Like, who's this? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Settle down. Come on. <laughs> just chill. But in general, if you're there doing the job that you were put there to do and you're doing it, yeah, respect. Okay. That's cool. All right. All right. Um, but Outside of that, yeah, never be the first one in line for food. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> like, always just wait. <laughs> that seems fair. Like, basically, when there's no line for food, like, all right, cool. Yeah, then you can wander over. Yeah, and it's very, it's very like, prison-y, <laughs> where it's like, I'm not sure where to sit. Yeah. Oh, that's a, that's the chief's table, and that's the that table, and, you know. But basically, you just, you get your food, you sit down, you eat, and then you leave. You don't... Just don't take up space, you're not... Yeah. That's it. It's... It's the people who eat and lounge and talk and then, you know, yeah, that's not, that's yeah. not cool. Yeah, no one likes that. Yeah. I, I think it's, it's like any normal scenario, you know, I think, I think if you go to any environment, humble, without ego, yeah, respecting yeah. everybody, you're going to do well. <laughs> you should be okay. Right? Yeah. I think. <laughs> what, what else can you do on a submarine to really piss people off? I guess that's the biggest fear is like, yeah, going on and having everyone be like, geez, <laughs> there's entertaining people. We have like real work to be doing. Go away. Yeah. But yeah. It, yeah, definitely. It's, it's such a strange, and it also depends on which, which side of the crew you're invited to be mm. a part of because they, they have a, a, you know, the officers and the enlisted. On a submarine, it's, it's still very much divided, very much intentionally so. Um, and if you go and if you ride as an officer, then... You know, you eat in the wardroom and that has its own uh, etiquette and you don't like if if you're an officer type person, you don't want to eat in the in the crew's mess because now you're taking up space that a crew could get and the crew can't eat in the wardroom and what are you doing? Like yeah. that's rude. And then, you know, also it's like it's the job of a cook to, you know, bring the food out and serve you the food and you know, you have to let them do their job. Mm-hmm. If you do their job, well now like what's their role? Yeah. You know, yeah. and that's a very awkward thing. To like get used to getting served. Yeah. It's very strange. Yeah. Like, oh, we man. weren't allowed to do our own laundry. Really? Yeah. It's really? super awkward. That's wild. Yeah, we had to give our laundry bags to the enlisted. They do it. Whoa. It's weird. Yeah, yeah, it's weird. that sounds really <laughs> Yeah. I mean you get used to it real quick, like, don't get me wrong. <laughs> Just yeah. Um Yeah. So you, you'd ride a submarine, though? You'd, yeah, you'd I think so. I mean, if I got a tro- I got a chance, I think. And I have no idea if I could ever get a chance, but I think I'll try it. But I do really think that I might, like, I don't know, in the first five minutes, I might just, like, lose my mind and it wouldn't go over well. Yeah. The, the hardest thing to get over is the fact that you have an absolute finite 
number of places that you can go. Yeah, yeah, you right? can't get away and you can't. If there's if there's people eating cruise mess and if the wardroom's occupied and if this place is occupied and if that place is occupied, that's it. <laughs> You're standing in the hallway. <laughs> that's, yeah. That's you know? crazy. Yeah. It's it's strange. Yeah, not a feeling I've ever had the rest of my life. Yeah. yeah. But it's fun. You get used to it. You can you can wrap your your head around almost anything. You know? Yeah. I mean if if I plucked you right now and dropped you in the middle of your hardest year of grad school, you'd probably be like, Oh, I don't know if I could do that again. But you could with enough preparation and mental, you know. Yeah, yeah, if you had to. That's fair. Maybe. Yeah. Or maybe not. Maybe yeah. maybe you'd buckle just, and crumble yeah, under pressure. Yeah, just scrub it over all gone today. <laughs> yeah. That's cool. Yeah. That's it. That's all we got. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> so, would you would you study in grad school? Physics. Physics. Yeah. Really? Yeah. I didn't know that. Really? Physics. Yep. Grad school was undergrad was, physics too. Yep, undergrad was math and physics. Wow. Yeah. I like school a lot. I was <laughs> I was good at that. I'm not so sure about working or anything else, but physics. I yeah. I liked physics in high school. I did not like physics in college. <laughs> I took physics two twice. Oh, and man. I got D's both times. <laughs> Did you need a higher grade to pass? I guess not. No. Not well, yeah. So I got I was on restriction for a little bit, for a longer bit. <laughs> and um, when you're on restriction over the summer, which I was, then you either are attached to this company called Transient Company, which means you stand about 12 hours of watch a day. Or you sign up for summer school, and then you're attached to the summer school people much more relaxed. Mm-hmm. Like, <laughs> you stand watch, like, once a week at school, and then you, you're just in your room or whatever. And, uh, yeah, so I did not want to be in transient company. <laughs> I had to get out of this as fast as I could. And the only class I could take, you're only allowed to take classes you failed or got D's in or a class that would put you ahead. The semester I was there, there was no option for classes to get me ahead, so I had to retake a class, and the only class that I could retake was physics two. <laughs> and no good. Still, was, the second time around wasn't yeah, any better. It's like uh, like electromagnetic yeah. fields and the right hand rule. Yeah, I love and, it. <laughs> did not like it. Oh, that's good stuff. Yeah. So physics. Yeah. That's cool. Yeah. Really I liked cool. it. And then before that, you were a gymnast, right? Yes, that was my that was my athletic beginnings. <laughs> Maybe that's why you like physics. You're like, why? How do I get higher and <laughs> yeah, yeah. fall slower? <laughs> do all that. Yeah. How'd you get into gymnastics? Uh, I was told that uh, it was like a parent and taught class when I was two. I don't have any memories before gymnastics. Right. So as far as I know, I have always done it. Yeah. You <laughs> were still me, same, yeah. Yeah, yeah, it's wild. So yeah, it's supposedly it was a parent and taught class, and I took to it. <laughs> was, I have an older Russia. brother, my dad went with him, he just like sat in the corner, yeah. uh, and I just like ran around like crazy and That's loved awesome. It, so. That's very similar to Jasmine's story, how she got into gymnastics. <laughs> she was like, I, they started when I was really young, and my parents said I was really good. <laughs> like, That's, there you go. Just really liked it, yeah. That's cool. Yeah. And so you started, and you basically did it, never looked back? Yeah, yeah. I tried... I did, like every kid, I did like all of the sports at some point. I did, you know, soccer and I taught the goalie how to do cartwheels and then I did basketball and I was on the sideline teaching people how to do forward rolls and they're like, fine, we give up. <laughs> you can just do gymnastics. That's okay. That's awesome. <laughs> I think I made it pretty well known. That That's I, all you wanted to do. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I have absolutely zero skills in the rest of those sports. What did you like about gymnastics uh, once you started realizing? Yeah, I don't I mean, I've always been relatively strong. I've never been the... Like, 
like beam was never my thing. Like I've never been like delicate and dainty, but I could always like brute strength through stuff. Yeah. And I liked it. I mean, it was a sport that was, it was strong and you were, you know. Yeah. A power gymnast. Yeah. Yeah. I was more, that was more my style. Uh, yeah, I don't know. I just, it was always, I think it fits really well. I'm very competitive, but it's me versus myself, kind of similar to swimming Yeah. where, you know, you win when you do your best. Right. I've never been good at, uh, head to head games. I don't have any hand-eye coordination or any of that stuff either, but yeah. I just, like, I played hockey for a little while, and, like, they'd come at me, and I would just, like, let them have it, because I just, like, <laughs> I yeah, don't... Not worth it. Yeah, yeah, I just, like, don't have that kind of yeah. aggression or whatever it takes. And so I think I really like the personal aspect of that, which is similar to CrossFit, is why I like yeah, CrossFit a lot. that's a good point. Uh, and all the sports I've done probably since are yeah. similar to that. Yeah, where you can you can do poorly overall, but if you do the best that you've ever done, then you're really proud of it. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, and you you beat somebody like yeah, you you win when you did your best. Right. Versus, you know, I don't know this other person taking you out or something like it's, uh, <laughs> it's like I did my best and I still got my ACL blown. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Yeah. But yeah, it's really you against yourself. If you fall, that's your fault only. Yeah. Yeah. So I think it fits my competitive side really well yeah and then yeah I guess I just I just like the sport I don't know I just have always done it and it just yeah yeah that's cool did you did you enjoy because the practices are ridiculous right yeah yeah I mean there's I can't say I you know uh, everything's shiny in retrospect of course yeah, uh, that's a good point but I, I really don't remember dreading it I just and I was never super super high level so I didn't have a ton of pressure yeah uh, but I did it through, once I got into like middle school and then through all of, through all of middle school, all of high school, essentially three hours a night, you know, six days a week. Yeah. Uh, and then meets and stuff for all full day long events on yeah. Sundays. Um, yeah. And I, you know, I liked it. I, That's was, cool. I Do you remember liking it. practice more than the meets? Did you not like the meets? Cause it's weird. It's everybody's on, you know, a different end of the spectrum of where they, you know, like what they liked about the sport. Like some people hate competitions because all the pressure. Yeah. I always remembered uh, I would do a competition and I'd be so jealous of the one, the girl that was like injured and couldn't, com- couldn't compete. So like, mm. man, they're like so relaxed right now. <laughs> they're just chilling. Life is great. No stress. But then when I was that kid, I was so bummed that I wasn't out competing. Yeah. And so I, I think I'd have to say I probably enjoyed the competitions to some extent, but... Yeah, I don't love just practicing for the sake of practice. Again, I like CrossFit because everything's a competition in CrossFit. Yeah. Like, I couldn't just do it just for fun. Right. I, want, I would need to know that I'm training for something. Mm-hmm. Uh, but but I, I, yeah, I enjoyed the process. I enjoyed learning it. And it was also, like, all kids sport. I mean, they, all of my friends were from gymnastics. Yeah. That was all I spent all my time. So Yeah. yeah. I think that's a lot easier to – it's a lot easier to, to – you know, be engaged in the sport because it's like when you hang out with all your friends and so yeah. it's like, Oh, well, do I want to lose all of my friends and quit the sport? <laughs> no. Yeah. That was so you like the sport. Right. Yeah. Yeah. And it's, and it's easier as a kid because everything else is kind of taken care of. For yeah. You. you know, it's like, you don't have to worry about dinner or taxes, <laughs> you know, as much as being a kid sucks. It's pretty sweet. Yeah. Yeah. Not you know a bad life. Yeah. Yeah. It's pretty sweet. Yeah. It's a good deal. Yeah. That's, I, I think I think about that a lot because I definitely did not like practice, mm. but then I really didn't like competitions <laughs> until like I've talked about this a lot, but I just I do not I did not and I'm, I've done a lot of done a lot of work in this in this regard, <laughs> but I like I would get so anxious and so nervous 
not about the outcome, but about the the place I would have to take myself. Like I would be so afraid of the pain yeah. that I would psych myself out and I would not go there unconsciously or consciously. Like I would just, like I'd be standing on the block dreading the race. And then after the first 25, I'd be like, well, <laughs> guess it's not my day, you know, yeah. but secretly being like kind of happy that, you yeah, know, yeah, that it passed. So it's a really strange thing about competition. But if I did, if I was in the race, if I was mm. in the race, if I got past that threshold of, yeah. well, it hurts and this is as bad as it's going to hurt, that's when I loved it. Yeah. Which is weird. Yeah, you just had to get past that. Yeah. It's like the thing I was dreading the most is the thing that I enjoyed <laughs> the most. You know, like yeah. that last 25 when it's, or like when you get into the strategy of, you know, like when to make your move, you know, that sort of stuff. And yeah. it's just, I don't know. I like. I really like that. I don't know. I think swimming was the wrong sport for me. <laughs> I mean, you seemed to take to it, so. I mean, I was good at it. Yeah. I'm, I'm more of what you were describing in the field hockey example. Mm-hmm. I'm more of the, I will kill you if you take this ball. <laughs> you know? Yeah, yeah. Like, I will work as hard as I can for you not to touch this ball. Mm-hmm. Swimming, I, you can have that race. <laughs> I don't know. Yeah. You know, it's weird. It's weird how, I don't know. What's that all about? Yeah, it's just a personality thing. I think, yeah, some people... Yeah, thrive off one versus the other. Definitely wasn't yeah. wasn't my thing. I mean, really, I want to, I want to, I want to find out where that comes from. <laughs> you know, like I want to get. Yeah, I'm, what is it about somebody that takes you? Know, yeah, and what's better? I don't know. I don't think, yeah, I don't think either's better. I think it yeah. just it's your personality. There's different personality types, and that's okay. Yeah. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> sure. <laughs> Seems can't be right. No, I don't know. So what'd you learn? What'd you learn? through sports like what'd you learn in gymnastics what did gymnastics teach jessica baby <laughs> i mean i guess you can go lots of ways with that <laughs> on the on the physical side this is why i think everybody should always start with gymnastics i mean just core basic strength i don't remember learning a pull-up yeah I, to my knowledge i've always had a strict pull-up yeah which i think there's probably a lot of adults these days that wish they could you know keep on you know there's sure. a lot of things. I think basic flex. I'm certainly not the most flexible person, but I have some base, I think, better than the general population because yeah. I trained that for a long time. Right. And so I think just that, like, core strength and flexibility and body awareness and knowing it's helped in everything else I want to do. It certainly helps in CrossFit. You know, if somebody says, put your hips here, I know yeah. where my you arms are. That. Yeah. And I think that basic knowledge transfers to any other physical thing you ever want to do. Yeah. Um, so physically, I think it, it gave me a lot. It set me up for a lot of my future athletic stuff, which I really appreciate. Um, and then, you know, on the, like, bigger picture life side. Yeah. Uh, I mean, I definitely, like, time management is something that I am huge on. And I, you know, had to come home from school and finish my homework within, you know, an hour. Like, I, I didn't, like, goof off after school. I came yeah. home, I did my homework because I had to be done by 4.30 so I could go to practice. And I'd go to practice and I'd go home and sleep. So yeah. I think I've learned time management really well. Like how to structure your day, how to yeah. get things done. Yeah. yeah. And uh, I think that's allowed me to do a ton of other stuff. It allowed me to do sports in college. Yeah. allowed me to do stuff in grad school. It allowed me to have two jobs now. Um, and and so that's been huge, I think, in my life that I most kids you know can just come home and goof off for six hours and that's fine. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and I learned to do, you know, work smartly with my work. And I think that's 
helped me through my academics. Um, yeah, and then just the general, you know, all childhood sports teaches you dedication and hard work and dealing with other kids and other coaches and all that stuff. Yeah. That, that I just, I grew up with. And I, right. I, I, I credit gymnastics with a lot of my upbringing maybe too much to the point of like <laughs> my parents and family <laughs> I did a lot as well um but it was so much of my childhood and my growth and yeah I mean I spent three hours a night there every night so right. I was, like was there more than I was in my house my house my house my home <laughs> and my I lived house in Canada <laughs> I my essentially was did really good. um but yeah so that's right where'd you grow up northern New York okay so southern Canada southern Canada <laughs> how far north uh about an hour north of Albany so like Saratoga Springs. Yeah, have we oh, talked yeah, about this? Yeah, yeah, right near. So I'm a little north of there, but right near yeah. there. Cool. Yeah. I was stationed there for six months. <laughs> I was there the exact winter. Yeah, not the, great at that time. Yeah, the the week after the racetrack closed and the oh. week before it opened. <laughs> yeah, and when I moved in, when I moved in, it was a nice day, and my house didn't have air conditioning. I don't think, mm. and so I lowered a few windows to let some. Like it was chilly. Yeah. Let some cool air in because I was moving and I was sweating a little bit. And then I put all of the windows up except for one. But the blinds, for whatever reason, I don't know why I lowered the upper part of a window, but the blinds were covering the upper part of the window. And uh, I didn't I didn't know that. I, I didn't know that. And my downstairs was so cold. <laughs> it was all winter. My downstairs was just frigid. So and it was my, open like forever? Yeah. It was so cold <laughs> that my upstairs was so hot because I kept turning the heat yeah, up and it was up and up. To. I was like, Jesus, why is it so <laughs> I would go downstairs with a coat. I'd bundle up. I'd watch TV or whatever. And then literally I was moving out. And I was checking the apartment. The, for, you know, the yeah. first day I opened the window and the last day I'm checking my apartment. I was like, mother, <laughs> are you kidding That's me? That's crazy. I left the window open. <laughs> All winter. Yeah. And I had a roommate. And my roommate <laughs> didn't catch it either. Like, well, I guess this sucks. <laughs> it's much That's nicer so up there dumb. with central heating. <laughs> yeah. And closed windows. Yeah. I had the I had the best night's sleep I've ever had in my entire life in Saratoga Springs, New York. Really? Yeah, there was a power outage. Oh, okay. And so my Just... insanely hot upstairs <laughs> equalized without doors because yeah. my window was open very quickly. And I piled like 18 blankets on my bed. <laughs> and you know how like you can make the middle part like where you where you yeah, are warm, like, but then when you go out it gets really cold. But you kind of like that cold sometimes. <laughs> yeah. So I like I was under the blankets and the pressure from the blankets was really nice. <laughs> and then whenever I'd get too hot, I would just be like, "Bing!" Slide my foot over. And be <laughs> yeah, like, get a little <laughs> cold. It was awesome. It was great. <laughs> Sounds yeah. lovely. When the heat came back on, I was a little upset. Because <laughs> <laughs> you're back to the traffic. I know. Like, ah, oh, yeah. <laughs> I like I like upstate New York. Yeah, I love it up there. Yeah, I really really love it. Yeah, not huge for mm-hmm. physics jobs. Uh, so so there's that. But uh, otherwise, I I could absolutely live up there still. There's a lot of people who end up in as civilian nuclear people who work on the plants up there mm-hmm. that we train on. There's a lot of civilian people who are physics, physics and chemical engineering. Yeah, yeah. I, I guess that makes sense. And mechanical engineering. Yeah. And as it turns out, computer science. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> so um, I want to get back to gymnastics, but this yeah. physics thing, when you when you get a master's degree in physics, like, 
what how do you how do you decide the the tr- the track that you go like why aren't you an astrophysicist or you know like how does that work like yeah. uh, obviously physics is a wide field what track did you go and and why that track yeah i sort of always stumbled into what i've done yeah so uh and i it's worked out well so i uh, my undergrad had this like fifth year free program, so you do five, you do four years of your undergrad, and then if you've started within your fourth year, you can continue your fifth year and get a master's just in that single year. Oh, cool! Um, and so I started doing research. My undergrad had a tiny, tiny little physics program, uh, and there was like two or three professors doing research. And I'm so there's theoretical physics, and then there's experimental. Theoretical oh. is like the Pen and paper, computer. Stephen Hawkins. Yeah. Yeah. And then experimental is in a lab doing stuff. I am hard experimental. Okay. Uh, So So that's the first decision. Yeah. So I knew that. Theoretical or experimental. Yeah. And other than that, at my school, left me like two options. And one of the professors I I liked a lot as a professor. So I just worked with him. Uh, He did a thing called condensed matter physics. Um, But I just, it was more for the professor than for the science. Yeah. Um, so I did a master's with him in this fifth year program that only kind of counts. Um, and then I applied to PhD programs. Uh, and, and for that, I wanted astrophysics. I wanted to be an astronaut for like That's six awesome. weeks. Yeah. An astronaut who's afraid of going on a submarine. Yeah, well, Come on. Until I read a bunch <laughs> of bios of astronauts when I got really into it Yeah. as like a 20 year old, not like a five year old right. and realized that's terrifying to be an astronaut. So sort of, <laughs> sort of stopped that. But, uh, yeah, so I was looking into astrophysics um, and or sort of similarly uh, on that side of things. And then so I applied to schools. And so I really was applying to just, like, physics programs with huge departments so I could figure out which specialty yeah. from there. Uh, and I also have a circus habit or had a circus habit, which I don't know if... What? <laughs> I feel like I've covered this. Some people no. know. Yeah, so I got into trapeze for a while. What? And so I wanted, a, so Florida State is one yeah. of two collegiate universities that has a circus uh, and a really big physics program. No way. And at the time, they were building an astrophysics group. So I was like, well, this is perfect. So I applied there, I got in, uh, and I ended up not joining the astrophysics group, but I joined, so I did nuclear physics as my specialty. So, so I have a PhD from FSU. And I got to do the circus for a while. Wait, you're Dr. Jess Baker? I, I am, technically. <laughs> Are you? <laughs> I feel like... No I way was... I knew that. I did not know that. I was a student continuously until 28, so... Dr. Jess Baker? That's what and I we're like. live. I'm here with Dr. <laughs> Jess Baker, ladies and gentlemen. Yes. yes. Seriously? Yeah, yeah. You have a... Your doctorate in nuclear... Physics. Physics. Yep. What? <laughs> All it means is that I stayed in school longer than other Like, I just didn't stop doing school. How did I? This is why This is why the podcast <laughs> is important. I don't do this for you guys. I literally do this for me. That's, how did I not know that? I feel like I have to have said it to someone. No, I don't know. I don't know. That, I don't know. First off, I don't know why. I think the reason why my mind is so blown is because that's, like, it's, like I, I studied nuclear engineering, and you know, like it's it's really that's really interesting to me. Yeah, yeah. No, I, I mean, I am just hard one sided math science. Yeah. Like I couldn't, and I just so I did math and physics at undergrad. You just kept going. I just did this fifth year because it was free. I didn't know what else to do, and then with math and physics, to grad schools, they essentially said in physics you get paid, 
and, and Matthew don't. Right. Essentially. I'm sure there's probably some. And I was like, well, I want to do the one. Where it I get gets paid. Paid, yeah. please. Uh, so I just, and I stumbled into nuclear. The professor emailed me. He's like, I'm looking for students. So and what do you study in nuclear <clears throat> physics? Like, what's a nuclear physics PhD? What would you, I, I have some more <laughs> questions. Let's just start with what do you study in nuclear physics? Uh, the nucleus. So protons and neutrons. You don't care about the rest of the stuff outside. No electrons? Uh, yeah. I mean, you don't really care about those, so... <clears throat> but the whole like periodic table, yeah. So hydrogen, helium, all those things, yeah. Uh, and and there's you know obviously a ton of stuff within that. Uh, but I was studying because I had an astrophysics interest, so I was studying yeah. nuclear reactions. So taking one nucleus, smashing it into another, yeah. Seeing what comes out, how often it comes out, what temperatures it comes out, and I was doing ones that went on in the stars because I wanted to inform astrophysics. Holy cow. Yeah, it was very cool. We had this super sweet lab in our basement, and it was a big nuclear accelerator, and we smashed aluminum into silicon, and well, aluminum into protons and made silicon. It was cool. It was a good time. What? So, <laughs> I don't even know where to start with my questions. When you, like, so when you create silicon, you just go in and, like, swipe it out, and now you have, like, a handful of silicon? Uh, no, it, it lives for, like, negative 26 seconds. And then it blows up into a bunch of stuff. What's then negative you have 26 seconds? Femtosecond? I'm going to get my science wrong, and then you're going to call me But, it's, but it's, it's a positive amount of time. Yeah, yeah. So oh. it lives, and then it immediately breaks up into other stuff. Yeah, yeah. And then you give detectors that look at all the other stuff it breaks up. Yeah. And then spend five years of your life figuring out what those detectors were and piecing the thing. So it's like you have a smashed-up toaster, put it back together, and figure out that it was a right. toaster. That makes sense. So yeah. what you, what what specifically did you study? Oh. Man, I have so many questions. Okay, so when you when you get your PhD, you yes. advance you advance the realm of human knowledge. Uh, yeah, that's putting it boldly, but sure. Right. I mean, well, anybody who does even a master, I mean, you're contributing to science in some way. Yeah. So, so I did individual like new research. Yeah. So what was your research? So my research was this reaction, uh, essentially looking at a certain isotope of silicon twenty six. How much? How? Uh, often it's created and under what conditions it's created. Yeah. And and the idea is this is one tiny, tiny little piece that goes into the big puzzle For sure. of supernova. Because um, we know that supernova happen, but we don't really know uh, all the details of exactly Back when they supernova. happen. And the, I know, I know oh, super, I, when a star explodes. Okay. Yeah. I wasn't sure if there was like one supernova that you were. Yeah, no, so just the, the overall phenomenon. And there's certain. The different types of supernova, and there's... So when a star explodes... Yeah, a lot of reactions happen. That's when elements are created. How does the star actually explode? We don't super know, so to my we, understanding. We don't supernova. Yeah. <laughs> uh, um, yeah, I mean, there's a lot of there's a lot of uncertainties, and I'm not an expert in that. You're, you're not uh, an expert in star explosions? Yeah, yeah. That would be a pretty cool one. People are. <laughs> people are. It's amazing. Um... Yeah, so I was just studying one little reaction that happened under those conditions because we, we know that reaction happens there, but we just don't quite understand how often it happens and if... It's the reaction of silicon-26 breaking down or combining and being created? Creating certain... Yeah, creating silicon-26. Wh- what goes into creating silicon-26? Uh, what are the primary... So, so what elements? I was... So it was aluminum-25. The 25 just means how many protons yep. and neutrons are up there. So it's aluminum-25 smashing into a proton creates silicon-26. So that's what we essentially did. I did it in a lab. We know it happens in the stars. Wow. So we did it in the lab and tried to figure out. And really, I mean, it's not very 
glamorous. Like, it, you're just lowering error bars on a number, essentially, you know, how often this happens. Well, for sure. I mean, and that's the thing that blew my mind when I was... So, in the, in the nuclear Navy, they teach you all of the theory that you need to know to understand Navy nuclear power. Mm-hmm. They don't teach you all of the theory of all of nuclear power. Yeah. They just teach you the theory that you need to know to understand the Navy nuclear power. <laughs> and in that, you, you get a lot of nuclear theory. You know, it's... Yeah. Um, like, you know, on average, a, you know, a reaction creates 2.7 electrons, you know, little things like that. And it's, you know, everything is an average game. Mm -hmm. And then I remember like everybody knows the periodic table, but what a lot of people don't know is the chart of the nuclides. Yeah, that's my bread and butter. Which is (laughs) so much cooler. (laughs) It is literally so much cooler. Like, I thought the periodic table, and if you if you've never really like dove down into the periodic table as an adult and like understood its sophistication and its sheer brilliance, yeah, yeah, it's that's a modern wonder of the world. <laughs> that, that table alone, it's so fascinating. Yeah, it's a so lot fascinating. In there, yeah, the organization and the structure and how it's all it that. But the chart of the nuclides, yeah, that's. If the periodic table is a wonder of the world, the chart of the nuclides is like the god of the world. <laughs> I mean, I agree. But. So, what is the chart of nuclides for people who don't know? I would, I would just let me let me describe it. And you tell me how far off I am. Yeah. Okay. So, the the periodic table is a chart of stable elements, right? Yep. And then the chart of the nuclides is all of the stable elements with their unstable. I guess I shouldn't say the periodic table is stable elements. I guess it would be the most stable form of the elements that we know about. Yeah. And then the chart of the nuclides is all of the ins or less stable permutation, permit, permit, permutation, permutations, permutations. Why can't I speak today? <laughs> I'm so I'm so humbled in the in the gaze of a doctor. <laughs> um, permutations. Yeah. It has all of the all of the permutations of all of the elements that we know about. So it'll have uranium-238 and 235 and 234, and then it'll give all the characteristics of those less stable forms of the element. Yeah. Yeah, essentially. Uh, isotopes is the word I would isotopes. say. Isotopes. That's, yeah. that's what so all I the different versions of, you know, one element has X number of protons, and then all the different number of neutrons that you can and can, can add or remove that, that we have observed or made or exist and so you contributed your research contributed to a more precise square on the chart of the nuclides in the context of aluminum 26 or silicon yeah yeah so i was so there's different there's all kinds of different nuclear physics uh so some people looking at like really precisely determining the masses of some of these ones because those you know still are up in the air and i always found that research fascinating but so mine was reaction physics so it was taking two of those isotopes and how you know because there's between those isotopes they if if these two smash in together it makes this or this one will decay into these two things um because a lot of those are radioactive yeah um so i was interested in in the reaction between them so uh my small little error bars that i lessened was on a reaction rate so okay so how often and at what temperatures and at what densities of these things interesting yeah Okay, so again, going back to my narrow understanding of nuclear physics from the Navy, 
I, I don't know if I'm allowed to say this. We're going to say it. <laughs> um, ah, that's scary. <laughs> neutrons. Neutrons are what I thought created the instability in things. I didn't realize protons could also do that. Yeah. So there's a neutron drip line and a proton drip what? line where you can't add any more of... There's one or the other. The, so the reason I said pro, the... I guess that makes I guess, I mean, it makes a ton of sense. Well, yeah, you can... Yeah. I guess essentially either ways. Because I mean, it, something is... Aluminum because it has 13 protons. Right. So that's what makes it aluminum. And so you can add more or less. So it's aluminum 26 because it also has 13 right. uh, neutrons. So you can add or subtract neutrons. And but keep it the same element. That's how you get uranium 235 versus 238. Yeah. Yeah. So, it, so in that sense, yeah, adding the neutrons is what you know, messes with the element. But it's, it's that element because of its number of protons. Right. So when you take aluminum and you slam a proton into it, by the fact that you're slamming a proton into it, you're literally changing that element. And becoming silicon. And that's the reaction that uh, I was looking at. Okay. That makes sense. Yeah. Man. Yeah, all so scientists... That's, that's, okay, so fusion is adding protons. Fission fusion is... Fusion is just combining two yeah. things where they fully stick together and create right. something new. Fission is separating two things. Right. And so, or something separating, yeah. Right. And so to separate, you just have to make the thing that's radioactive so unstable that it separates and creates a lot of energy, right? Yeah. And then to do fission, it's the opposite. So you can create that by throwing, what, like helium and hydrogen together? You can do that by slamming a proton into aluminum and make it silicon, like, there's a million different ways that you could do that, right? Yeah, and there's all kinds of different types of reactions uh, that aren't that aren't all just fusion or fission. Uh, you know, some kind of just like closely pass each other and kind of for a second make a new state, but don't really fully become something new. And so there's different there's all kinds of things going on. I mean, I literally I, all of science you become like a so I don't know anything about like nuclear reactors. Sure. That, that wasn't even like touched in my yeah, yeah. in my schooling, which is crazy because I say nuclear, so people assume I know know what that stuff means. Because um, I was at what's considered somewhat low mass stuff, yeah, uh, and astrophysicsy things, and so yeah, there's, I mean it's, everything is so 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 in focused. the weeds yeah, yeah. that there's a lot that I do. Well, know. for sure, but there's there's a ton that you know, and that's the that's the thing about becoming a, a doctor <laughs> that uh, that fascinates me is like, where do you go? Because if I don't know something, I Google it, <laughs> you know. So I'm searching within the bubble of human knowledge to find the answer. Mm-hmm. It's like, how do you start a podcast? Well, someone's done that. That exists. Yeah. But when you're a PhD student, when you become a doctor, you're operating literally at the at the fringe of human knowledge. Even like if if human knowledge is one billion things, you might be doing like one tenth of those billion things, right? It's a very small aspect of what we've discovered. And so it sounds like you just do a bunch of experiments and report on the experiments and then the scientific process refines what we know about that area in which you were doing experiments. Yeah, I mean it's there's certainly times where it's you know, somebody has a huge aha moment and great for them. Uh, in my experience it's very incremental. You do experiment, it fails, and you try to figure out why it fails, and then you yeah. do it again, and this time it was a little more successful. And then you, you know, you have a friend that did this experiment or did a similar experiment, and they had success trying this. So you try that too, and um, it's very collaborative. I mean, there's uh, 
you know, you have you have advisors who have been running experience for years, so they say maybe try this way because this has worked in the past. And yeah, so as a student, are are you just are you are you genuinely creating your own ideas, or are you just executing your professor's ideas? It depends. I think it depends on the professor. Depends on what you're I guess doing. That's a good point. My my project or that reaction that I was looking at. Uh, had been studied for like three generations of physics. It's been studied a lot. Um, it had been run by my advisor under three different grad students, and it had just been unsuccessful and unsuccessful, and I just did not want to do it. I thought I was going to come in, like finish it off for this guy that just left, you know, quick get a publication, and then I'll start my own project. Yeah. And then it became my full project, and my advisor was really passionate about it. That's cool. And like, like knew we could get it, we could get... and. Spoiler, still hasn't been published on. So I'm not sure. It may be a fourth generation that's going to crush it. Um, but, yeah, so, I mean, you know, I, I added a little bit to the story, and somebody else will take that number and run with it and take what I did and say, okay, this this is what worked and this is what didn't work, right. but we saw this extra little thing here, so let's maybe dive into that part. Yeah. Um, it's just, you're just adding a tiny little piece to I, this huge world. This is so... So interesting to me. How do you... Um, okay, so I understand the theory of what an atom smasher is. <laughs> I get it. Yes. Like, I understand, okay, cool. You say that you put silicon in here and you throw a proton into it. That's great. <laughs> like, I could make a cartoon about that. I could see that. But how... How, how Mag- does that work? Magnets. Magnets? Yeah, so it's... Uh, what you're... I mean, what you... There are still some charges. So things are positively or negatively charged. And... Positive, yep. you know, attracts positive negative, tracks. and it pushes away positive. Yeah. So you can play around with either make, getting some electrons on there or stripping electrons away, and then putting magnets around it, and you can speed things up or f- speed things away. And where do you get, where do you get, like a ball of aluminum? Like, are you just taking coke cans and dropping them in there? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So you start with. It depends on what you want to start with. Yeah. Um, so, like, I started with a beam of magnesium because that was... You need to start with a stable beam. A beam? Yeah, so... <laughs> of magnesium? <laughs> it sounds crazy, but it's really not, like... Uh, like a laser? So, so you, well, so you start with, like, a little... We had, like, a little cap of, like, a uh, magnesium oxygen powder, some kind of stable powder, and then you vaporize it, essentially. How do you vaporize Speed up it? the... Uh, a really with intense... Heat? Yeah, really, really intense... Uh, beam of some kind. Say laser. Yeah. Say laser. <laughs> I don't think it was a laser. I'm not entirely sure. Uh, really intense beams. Something, yeah. By definition. I mean, I think that's the definition of some, a laser. Some intense something. Uh, yeah, so you get this, like, like uh, gas of magnesium, and it's, it's, at this point, it would be positive, or negatively charged. And then you stick it in this huge, we have this, like, uh, size of this room, yeah. giant thing, and it's super insulated because it has really high electric charges in it. Um, and grad students would have to go in there and, like, dust it sometimes because awesome. grad student life was a mess. <laughs> um, and so the, you put these put the center really highly charged, and you make it, uh, so it's, this is negative, this is positive. So they attract, Slam and it speeds it. up. So it speeds up. And then at the exact right second, you strip off some electrons, make this negative. The center is now positive. It speeds away. What? Or, or so, so you're just playing with electric fields. Essentially, it's 
everyone knows that positive and positive don't like each other. Yeah. Positive and negative want to get away. Right. And just using that and timing things. How do you strip things, electrons? Uh, carbon foil. Carbon foil? Yeah, you run it through a foil. Oh, like carbon. a like a super small filter? Yeah. And it literally just knocks electrons off? Yeah, it pulls, it pulls away the electrons, yeah. And then it makes it positive, and then it flies away. Yeah, it's really, really the, the lab is what made me want to do this. <laughs> There's, I, if I knew I was going to be talking about this, I should have like remembered what I did five years ago. But Oh my goodness. Okay, so here's, here's what I'm hearing. Tell me if this is right. You have this, you have this nucleus with electrons in it. Okay, so in this case, the nucleus we're working with is negatively charged. So you have this giant magnet that's, that creates the, a huge, strong thing of this. And you probably have thousands, if not millions, of these similar nuclei racing towards this carbon filter that's going to de- decapitate <laughs> the electrons from the nucleus, which will change its polarity or its charge. Change its charge, yeah. So change it makes it charge. positively charged. Okay. All right. So, so it is negative. Yep. It's negative because of its abundant electrons. And so then it goes, it gets a lot of the electrons chopped off. Where do those electrons go? They just get attracted to something else? Yeah, I think they're just in the carbon. Just in the foil, yeah. So now you have this nucleus with much fewer electrons now. So now it becomes positively charged. And at the moment of the decapitation, you switch the... Yeah, in this case, the center's still... So the center's been positive the whole time. We have a couple kinds of accelerators. But at this point, the center's still positive. So it was positive to pull it in. Because it was, yeah, the beam was negative. The center was positive. Pull it in. Now you take the electrons off, and now you've got positive, positive. Yeah. Push it away. Wow. And then there's there's a whole bunch. There's, like, a handful of different types of accelerators. Yeah. That one's called the Tandem... Tandem Van de Graaff. Uh, and then we had a linear accelerator, which is a second stage that, through similar processes, just magnets, you can you can bend beams, you can, with certain magnetic field, you can uh, select. So in, in this, this original beam, you've got a bunch of other elements you may not want. So you can kind of get rid of the stuff you don't want because magnets bend elements. So if you can bend what you want, the right amount. So the matrix bend. is real? Yeah, pretty much. <laughs> <laughs> So yeah, anyway. It's so or no, it's not the Matrix. What's the one that that they throw bullets out of the gun and they can make the bullets curve? Oh, and they curve? like yeah, I'm not. No, I'm not whatever. Sure. Yeah, it's oh. all real. Okay, so then the longer the accelerator, the longer the particle accelerator, then the then you're just so aren't they making one in Europe or one in Europe might exist that's like a billion acres long and it. Like what's the what's the point of that? Is it just making things faster, which then makes things more accurate? Yeah, in general, yes, yeah, so that one's really big. That's a, a big circle. Ours was a line, essentially. Oh, okay. But they're trying to get even smaller. So I was looking at nuclei, so protons and neutrons. They're looking within the proton or within the neutron. So they're looking even smaller. So to get smaller, you have to get higher energies, higher speeds. Got it. Okay. So this thing gets decapitated and then it flies away. Yeah. It keeps going. Eventually. And then how do you collect information? From that, so you, so we we have a you know a detection a, a chamber we have a bunch of detectors, so that silicon I create for like a you know tiny tiny amount of time and then it breaks up, and it breaks up into a, protons and there's neutrons and there's gamma rays and there's uh, so it, some heavier stuff. By break up is that the same as like a, a radioactive decay? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So exactly that. So then so we catch all the stuff from the decay, uh, or we try to catch as much of the stuff as you can. Yeah. 
and then and then that's where the bulk of the work and the so you study look at comes from. you basically have this so the element gets decapitated and because it's decapitated it blows up yeah, so that all that decapitate is just to speed it up just to create oh. a beam of effect, of enough energy so eventually it, you're just taking a beam hitting it into a target and that's yeah okay so maybe that's what I'm missing where where do you introduce the protons at the, at, so at the very end. So you've made this beam of magnesium, you've sped it up, you've okay. gotten it fast. And how do you create the beam of protons? That's just some, it's a, ster- so it's not fully protons, it's deuteron and it's a deuteron, something. Cause, uh, what's a deuteron? Uh, proton and a neutron. Okay. So it's like a heavy, yeah. So it's, and so you can't, I mean, so you have to have, it's just like a little, it's a stationary thing, just a piece of material. Oh, okay. So it has to, this beam comes in and smashes into something. That's, so you just have a piece of proton. Yeah, it's just like a little film, yeah. Um, and so the problem is your beam isn't fully pure. There's some magnesium, there's some silicon, there's some yeah. other stuff in there. And your my target had some carbon in there. It had some there's some oxygen because it gets in the air. Yeah. I mean, there's a lot of other stuff. And so you create what you want to create. You get like six of those. But then you get a bunch of junk. Yeah, and so that's okay. So you, ha- you so you, essentially what what an accelerometer accelerometer accelerator accelerator essentially what an accelerator is is a it's like a rifle for elements. In yeah. your case, you shot aluminum. Yeah. So you your bullet was aluminum. Yes. You shot aluminum at a target using magnetic fields. Yeah, electricity. And then magnetism. when your bullet interacted with the target, it created... Silicon. Fission. Mm, I wouldn't say that. I would fusion. just say it just created silicon. Okay. Yeah. Okay. It created silicon because it's it smacked and it absorbed a, a, a proton yeah, at some aluminum, point. The aluminum, yeah, took on a proton, became silicon. Okay, so your target, now you shot... Your target. So now, you, so basically, you have this 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 target. You pull the tar- target out, and then you analyze the target for all of the information. No. So behind the target, you've got a whole bunch of detectors, and oh. the detectors. The, so all the, the pieces of what. So the silicon lives. So I create silicon, and then it immediately right. sm- d- destroys In like itself. Millions of seconds. Yeah. And then, and then all you see in the detectors is a little time signal that something happened, and a little and some amount of energy. Oh, so then you take that energy and then you can equate the, the energy into what the element is. So you try to figure out. So you look, you look at time and energy and the different things, and you're and you try to figure. Okay, these were protons. Okay, I found that these protons came at this time, and then okay, they've got some aluminum over here, and we got something. You're piecing it back together and saying, oh, this is how often we got silicon versus how often we got other. Yeah, I don't know. That is so fascinating. <laughs> um. I cannot wait for people to hear this because I want to know if other people find this as <laughs> mind-boggling. Mind-boggling. Mind, why can't I talk today? This is blowing my mind right now. My life experience tells me that most people have turned this off a good 15 minutes ago. I think those people are lame. I don't like those people. If you turn this off 15 minutes ago, I don't like you. <laughs> if you're listening, you are super cool. Okay. Um, wow. Yeah, I found it. It was very interesting. Uh, I enjoyed it. I like science. Okay, so now I definitely have to circle back to your current job. <laughs> okay, because... Pretty unrelated. Well, if, if it's going to sound less related. Well, before I was thinking that... I, I didn't realize I was in the in the presence <laughs> of Dr. Baker. And I had assumed, clearly wrongfully, that you were just 
run-of-the-mill project manager type. Not that there's anything wrong with being run-of-the-mill <laughs> project manager type. That's it's basically, but th- you know, that's where a lot of people they graduate college, they you know they go to booze and they get a good job at booze, and then they end up in you know working in this capacity, but yeah. mostly as you know like the manager. So you you are like a subject matter expert. I might be someday. Currently, I'm just a newish employee. But you're on so the no. you're on the potential track of becoming could the, be yeah. The expert. So I. I really left the field. So academia, I, I there was a crossroads when I graduated. I could have stayed in academia and stayed yeah. in that path, and I really left the field. Okay. I wanted a 9-to-5. I wanted time off. I wanted to not spend my life writing grants. So uh, you, you, you could have stayed and been a researcher. Yeah, it's a really, okay. really tough life. Good on people that can do it. Uh, yeah. I mean, it's, same as living on a submarine for your career. Yeah, right? yeah, yeah. Um, and not always. It's I may not. I mean, you have to apply to post. I mean, I was a student again continuously until I was twenty eight. Yeah, I would have had to do another at least two to three years of postdoc work. Maybe apply to programs. Yeah, maybe. I mean, it's it's a struggle. So uh, you you left that yeah world to get a real job. Yeah. Could you have gotten the job that you're in without a PhD? Yes. Definitely. Uh, I see. Okay. Um, and I, I mean, the degree will absolutely open doors for me. For sure. It's given me options. Um, yeah. Occasionally, if I have to email somebody high ranking, I'll drop the. <laughs> you don't. You don't lead with it. <laughs> no, almost never. Really? Yeah. That's a huge accomplishment. Uh, it is, but it, it, it only. I mean. You lead with that. It has. It has its time and place. No, you put that um, in your email signature. <laughs> you do that right now. Right. What's your. <laughs> What, no, why, why wouldn't you? Why wouldn't you? I mean, that's a, that's a title that, that you earn. You, yeah. are, you are Dr. Jess Baker, true. comma, PhD, <laughs> yeah. nuclear <I'm>, <laughs> damn physics. Like, you got to put that shit in yeah. there? No, I'm, I'm very proud of it, but there's only times and places where it needs to be. Like every email you send <laughs> is the appropriate time and yeah. place. Yeah. I mean, you earned it. Yeah. Why wouldn't you? It's not bragging. Yeah, it just doesn't. It doesn't need to be said. Sometimes I don't know. Your humility the, is the, impressive. <laughs> I. It's not. Yeah, I don't know. I would not be able to con- like if <laughs> if I had a PhD, my neighbors would know about it. <laughs> I, you could meet me, and I don't. Maybe. That's the other weird. Th- I mean, in in that world, everybody you know either has a PhD or is going to have a PhD. I mean, yeah. All of my friends in grad school, I don't think any of them failed out. I think everyone got the degree. Uh, you know, and all your professors have PhD. I mean, it's not, it's not unique. It's not, I mean, it's still impressive. I think we all, we all appreciate the work we put in, but. Everyone in the gym is going to call you Dr. Jess. <laughs> that doesn't mean <laughs> <be> so. <laughs> No, I'm sure I, there's, there's other, well, there's a lot of medical doctors at the gym. Sure I guess, I mean, that issues. makes sense. I mean, if, yeah, I, I guess I take it back. I wouldn't, I mean, that's. I don't know what I, I, I sincerely don't know what I would do because I do I I definitely don't like the people who over prescribe their email signatures. It's <laughs> like seriously, you put that on there. Yeah. I had a I had an executive officer when I was in the Navy. I did not like him at all. Uh, whew. <laughs> whew. Now I feel like if if ever any of my exos that I did like, I feel <laughs> yeah, like I feel like I need to name them yeah, so that yeah. all the exos. Not you, not you. Uh, no. This this guy sucked, and um, he yelled at me one day for not having an email signature because I like to just manually sign my name and I put whatever relevant information. Yeah. 
that pertains to the email and my signature. So emailing someone, Lieutenant Emery, if I told them to call me, it's my email address or my, my phone number. Yeah. They have my email address, so I don't need to do anything. Yeah. And he, he ordered me and he made it a point. He was like, like, this is not a debate. Go do this. Chain of command. All right, sir. And he did. And so I spent about two and a half hours <laughs> writing the longest email signature <laughs> I had ever. You know, people put quotes. Oh yeah. I put my favorite poem, <laughs> and I picked a long yeah. poem. Like it was the whole poem. I had my obviously my email, my personal email. I had my home address. I had my first of kin, first of kin <laughs> oh, contact gosh. information. I had favorite color. I had my favorite <laughs> poem. I had like Facebook, like all the social media oh, was gosh. fairly new. It was like 2008, like, nine. Yeah, yeah. And so I had like, find me at Facebook, <laughs> you know, all, all of the things. And by the time it was done and everything was spaced, I put, you know, tons of quotes it was all formatted in different colors and i mean it was literally like five <laughs> or six scrolls it was a and then i replied to an email uh that he had sent me like roger that sir that's that's complete send <laughs> <laughs> and then i get a phone call yeah i can't like, imagine come to my office <laughs> I'm thinking back to that uh, <laughs> Navy SEAL who said, like, just Jocko. do the thing. Yeah. <laughs> he probably yeah. would have appreciated that. He, yeah. I thought it was hilarious. <laughs> I thought it was so funny. And I thought, foolishly, yeah. that he would have seen the humor in it. Yeah, appreciated. But he didn't even appreciate the humor. Uh, and that's what made him. That, 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 that's why he sucked. Yeah. You yeah. know what I'm saying? It's yeah, like, he could have been like, ha ha, okay. <laughs> funny. Yeah. Send a few emails. Change it by tomorrow. Yeah. <laughs> I would have been like, cool. Yeah, yeah He was awesome. seriously angry. <laughs> it's like, what the hell do you expect when you make such a big deal about something yeah, so yeah, small? Yeah, some silly thing. Man, <laughs> it was glorious. I wish I saved it. I wish I yeah, would have sent yeah, my Gmail because it. Yeah. it was, I've, I've forgotten my favorite poem at this point. You <laughs> <laughs> had it at some point. It might have been like a Shel Silverstein. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, so, but you but you drop, you drop the doctor from time to time. Yeah, like, yeah. Occasionally it has its moments. Do you, like, when you're, have you ever been in a scenario where someone's disrespecting you and like talking down to you and you go, that's Dr. Baker, <laughs> sir. Absolutely not. No. <laughs> <laughs> I could never. I'd be so embarrassed. Yeah. Uh, Thankfully, I haven't been in many situations where I've been yeah. highly disrespected, so I appreciate that. Yeah. Well, that's kind of another question. Being in such a military environment, do you find there to be any sort of like masculine culture and you know like it's hard to be a woman in that environment or is that kind of not a big deal i haven't noticed it and i mean coming from physics i've always been in male-dominated fields so i I haven't noticed it any any more or less there's probably more women in my work group now than i've ever had (laughs) so yeah i haven't noticed anything that's good yeah cool good on the military exactly (laughs) we're about to about to drop some drop some accusations uh that's man. I keep. I can't get over the fact that you're a doctor. How did I not know that? I feel like I am the jerk for not exploring. No, I mean I. I don't hide it. I'm not, but I don't go out of my way. It doesn't come up yeah. at CrossFit. It doesn't. You know, it's not a thing. Yeah. Uh, so yeah, I. I you know, when asked, I'm happy to talk about right. it, but I don't. I don't yeah. feel the need. It doesn't come up spontaneously often. Yeah. I'm trying to think if this changes my opinion. Of <laughs> oh, no. Everyone's judging. Yeah, everyone's like, you're not that smart. <laughs> no, I mean, it, it certainly changes, like, like the context of the conversation we were having earlier. 
like it doesn't change it it obviously doesn't change my perception of you as a as a human you know like you've always been cool but it just I seem a little dorkier now no not dorky it just changes it changes the whole perspective and it's it's sort of you know in life we make a lot of assumptions you know i think that's how you have to operate there was there was some there was something stupid that was on Facebook. I'm sure you saw it. It's like, you you know, if if the first letter of the word and the last letter of the word are there, and all the other letters are there, then you you can just breeze over it and you assume. Figured, yeah. And then there's all of these uh, like optical illusions that base that are that are created off the assumptions your brain makes based on negative space and positive space. And I mean, here I am talking about that to a doctor. <laughs> <laughs> but see, that, and that's the probably why I shy away from it because. All, literally all it means is that you went like, to school for a long time I just kept, stayed in school longer I just like didn't know what to do with my life so I just kept going to school yeah and I know a lot about one tiny tiny little thing yeah but like I could even talk to another nuclear physicist and not know what they're doing for sure and so <laughs> there's nothing yeah there's no amounts of knowledge I guess the I guess the impressive thing well I, I guess anybody who's who's achieved something it's I think the thing that's most impressive about it is the fact that you that you sought and you achieved, that you, mm-hmm. that you, you know, like, we're going to go to the moon. <laughs> like, does going to the moon actually matter in the grand scheme of things? Like, I'm sure a moon physicist would be like, absolutely. Like, you, <laughs> yeah, you wouldn't yeah, have pop tarts if we didn't go to the moon. I'd be like, <laughs> I, I, I yeah. take it back. But it's, it's the idea that we said we're going to go to the moon and we got to the moon and we got back from the moon. And I think that that arc is an amazingly impressive arc. And so I think that's the thing that's that's so fascinating or that's the thing that I'm exploring about this this new <laughs> new Jess Baker that, <laughs> new I've, that I've met today. Yeah. It's like when like I assume that everyone's good, right? Just as a as a general default. I'm yeah. not saying that this is the right approach. So don't yeah. <laughs> you know, if you're listening and you Jess like don't think that this is correct. This is the way that I operate. Mm-hmm. I'm not saying this is right. This is, it could be right. I don't know. Maybe this is just the default consciousness of, of where I live. But I just, I assume everyone's a good person, not a great person, but just a good person. I don't assume you're bad. I don't, I don't assume I'm I'm going to hate you. I assume that I'm going to like you and I like good people. Mm -hmm. Right. And in order for me to deviate from that base assumption of good, you have to show me that you're bad or you have to show me that you're great. Yeah. Otherwise, you're neutral, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> right? Yeah, yeah. And there's nothing wrong with being neutral. Like neutral is 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 a very good achievement for a lot of people, yeah. you know. But greatness is something that few people are, few people have, and I think greatness comes from doing great things. And sure, yeah, like if I was in the presence of LeBron James, I would wow, that's really impressive what you've accomplished in mm-hmm. your career. You know, the same way if I was in the presence of an author or in the presence of someone who started a business yeah. or in the presence of someone who, you know, finished a marathon. Like there's, there's so many levels of, there's so many different ways to impress me, I guess is mm-hmm. what I'm saying. And each one of those little impressions leaves a mark on me that, that deviates my perception of you as a person in the positive. The same way that if I saw you being rude to a homeless person, I'd be like, oh, tick mark negative. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It doesn't necessarily mean you're an evil person or that I don't like you. It's like, ah, oh, well, you know, Just noted. Informed, noted. yeah. And a lot of that happens, I think, on the subconscious level, and it's not something I'm going around keeping tabs on everybody, but I mean, we've all known people who are just rude to the waitress at the restaurant, 
And if that happens enough times, you phase them out of your life or you start to think like, wow, that person's a rude person, (laughs) right? Yeah, yeah. And I think the opposite is true where, you know, someone who continually does super impressive things, eventually you're like, that person's a genius. (laughs) Like Elon Musk, right? Yeah, yeah. He's proven himself. That's an example. It's like, oh, PayPal. Yeah, yeah. Good work. Cool. Good on you. Great idea. Great execution. I respect you. Oh, we're not done. <laughs> we're, we're still going? Okay, cool. Well, good on you again. Well, good on you again. Good on you again. And it's like the same thing with Steve Jobs. It's like, oh, founded Apple. Good man. <laughs> right? But then it's like, the iPhone? <laughs> the iPad? What? And it's just you get more and more and more, and eventually you're just this icon. Right? Yeah, yeah. I think that happens impression by impression, the same way that, you know, people become negative and negative and negative based on impression. Right, yeah. It was a really long-winded way of psychoanalyzing myself to not being a bad person for <laughs> being really impressed that you're now a PhD. No, well, I... <laughs> well, that you are yeah, now. Yeah, <laughs> I, I appreciate that. I do. Man, that's cool. <laughs> yeah. Do you think less of me because I only have a bachelor's? <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely not. I guess, I mean, there's... Especially given that I could... To have done my job straight out of undergrad. Yeah. Or there are, you know, similar. I, I, what I've learned has informed what I'm doing, but, uh, you know, I'd probably have a lot more in my retirement account if I started six years ago. <laughs> There's something to say for people who, I really just didn't know what I wanted to do and I just like kept going in this path because yeah. that's what you do. So. You I, were just the aluminum going linearly I, yeah, towards just, the giant positivity. <laughs> and. and you hadn't run through the filter of life to decapitate all of your hopes and aspirations yet. Precisely. Spot on. <laughs> I'm going to use that metaphor so often. <laughs> You're just a linear accelerator. Jeez. <laughs> Dump some of those electrons so you don't have to do it the hard way. Yeah, yeah. Man. Yeah. Now I, 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 I wanted to talk a lot about gymnastics stuff, but I feel like that's so unimportant now. <laughs> it's like, who cares? <laughs> That's, I mean, that's just as, I mean, my life is probably those two things, athletics and academics. Those are the two things I've done. Yeah. So that's Man. all I got. What's the, um, I don't even know. I don't even know where this, this question <laughs> just is throw going. everything off. Yeah. So, I mean, what's the, what's the success rate of students who start a PhD program? Like what percentage of P- students who start? My, What's the attrition rate or whatever the it probably other? De- it probably depends. I don't know, like, nationally. My school, I remember, like, day one they said 60%, and we stuck About to that, that pretty hard. Yeah. Um, and most, a lot of it is people who chose to leave or wanted to. Right. It's not like people are washing out because they're not smart enough yeah. or they can't cut it. Yeah. It's just was, they didn't stick with it. There was a couple of those. Oh, okay, yeah. Uh, yeah, the f- very few people just, like, couldn't quite make it. Um, and we have, you know, handfuls of different... Uh, you know, exams you have to pass and classes, grades you have to get to continue on. Um, but but a lot of people, yeah, chose, I think one guy, like, started just was like, oh, I could just go work for, you know, some big coding company and make a yeah. boatload of money. And you're like, that's better than your $15,000 a year student <laughs> stipend. Um, and, you know, some people would switch into, switch into, like, an engineering program or something yeah. else where they have practical life skills and they leave. Um yeah. So, so yeah, I think it's about sixty percent for my school. Is it is it more mentally demanding? Not like tedious. Are you like are you operating on a higher level of mental function through that PhD program, or is it just similar stuff 
just like different calculations? Um, hard to say. I guess I feel like the class, like coursework, your first couple of years, year or two, are heavily coursework. Yeah. Then after that, you're primarily research. And coursework, for me, has always been just brute force. You just, you just do, do a lot of work. You do a lot of problem yeah. sets. You just keep doing it. Right. And so that's sort of tedious, but that's also what I was best at. That's why I, I was, I was, I've been good. I'm good at school. I can just right. do the work. Um, the research side of things is more is that mental. You need to come up with innovative new ideas and new ways of thinking about this problem, and you get something. And that's not my strength. I'm not. Yeah, creativity stresses creative. me out. Yeah, it's interesting because it's the field I would imagine not many creative types get into. Yeah. And then they're like, all right, now you're here. Be creative. Yeah, yeah. And it takes Dork. really, really, I mean, those are the best and the brightest that can the, look the at this new both. problem and figure out this way to do it. And Yeah. yeah. Yeah, well, I, those are the people that those are the people that change the world. Like, think differently. Mm. This is an Apple commercial. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. <laughs> but that's a really good point because it it does take a brilliant mind to look at the status quo and then to deviate from it. Yeah. In a smart way, there's tons of people that look at the status quo. I'm reading this Jordan Peterson book at the moment, and he's talking about how, um, like, following societal norms is almost always the right answer. Until it's not. Yeah, yeah, until that one time. Yeah, yeah. And he's like, you're you're basically following mankind's entire history, his his opinion, culminating in the developments of Western civilization and how sure it has its downfalls, but it, there's a, a ton of good that has come from Western civilization. And to ignore the 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 status quo of this is to basically spit on the the work of millions of years of humanity or yeah. whatever. And he takes 200 pages to build to this point, so I'm watering it down and, and probably something that can be soundbited into incorrect statements. <laughs> um, anyway, so it's... What was I talking about? Yeah, just the... Making a new idea is... Yeah, it takes a, takes a lot. And it's, that's, you know, there's yeah. eight, eight new ideas that are wrong. Right. One new idea that's right. Exactly. And, and the, the genius people can, can see the, the wisdom in going against the wisdom. Yeah. I think that's really cool. Yeah. It's like, yeah. like looking at this new thing and not, not being like, I think heroin would be a great thing for my life. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Not everyone's doing heroin, but watch me do it better. <laughs> yeah, it's going to be the best. Eh, not so smart, yeah. but like... The world needs an iPhone. You know, <laughs> yeah. like that's smart, right? That's yeah. cool. Yeah, the best, the absolute best researchers have that creative mind and love the process, the work, the hitting walls and trying it. I mean, they can work all night. They think, I mean, they, they're so passionate about that. Yeah. It's just like you're saying with like loving the pain of swimming. Like, yeah. The best swimmers are the ones that love that pain. Right. To me, that, that research at four in the morning hitting your head against a wall for the eighth time you've hit the same right. wall. I didn't love that right. in the same sense yeah. that, that the best of the best incredible researchers yeah. did. I think my I think Aaron had this analogy. My sister has this analogy about swimmers. She goes, the best swimmers, like swimming is like throwing raw eggs against the wall <laughs> and the best swimmers in the world are the ones that don't break. <laughs> you know? Yeah, yeah, but else is like, no, 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 yeah. no. Yeah, I feel like that's, it sounds like a lot of uh, what you're talking about with the researcher. Yeah, yeah. It's like the ones who can just tough it out and grit it out and who for whatever reason like love that so much yeah wow what's uh like isn't the the god particle a huge 
It's a thing, yeah. Do you know about that? Uh, not really. So that's what they're looking at at that big in, in yeah. Europe, the huge one. Yeah. Um, you don't know enough to explain it to me? Not really. I've I mean, watched a lot of YouTube. Not enough to be recorded explaining okay. it to you. How about well, that? I just pressed the mute. No, <laughs> I don't want to say something wrong and then have, what's like, the coolest thing you, like... What's the coolest thing you learned in your time of nuclear physics? Like, what's the... Like, did you just connect some dots that, like, totally blew your mind? And it doesn't have to be, like, a wildly sophisticated thing. Yeah. And if you need a second to think about it... I really don't know. That's... Well, I'll yeah. tell you what blew my mind All right. on the All right. Sounds good. Okay. Because I learned two things, two two concepts that just drastically... I, I don't know. I don't know why I was so blown away by these things, but... So, on a boat, we create water. Um, where we create oxygen from the water that we create. The water process is pretty straightforward. It's either uh, you shock it and, you know, put it back together or whatever, or you reverse osmosis it. Um, Sorry, you don't shock it. You you filter it, reverse osmosis, whatever, and then you create the water. And then from the water, you shock the water, and then that's how you create the oxygen. And so when I was qualifying on the evaporate, whatever we called it, I forget what we called it, the oxygen maker, we'll call that. <laughs> when I got the when I got the checkout on that, I was like doing all the studying on it, and then like for whatever reason, I just never understood how the oxygen was separated from the hydrogen. And then the guy was like, positive and negative. It's, they're just two different charged tubes, and like one gets pulled one way, and the other gets pulled <laughs> the other way. It's like super simple. And I was like, <clears throat> like imagine being the person. I mean, there was somebody yeah, like on this out. planet who solved that problem. Yeah. That's so yeah, cool like to so, me. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's so cool to me to be the guy who had that aha moment. Or girl. Yeah. Who knows? You know, be the person <laughs> who, like, thought of it, tested it, and then it worked. Yeah, like, yeah. high five it. <laughs> yeah. That's crazy, right? Yeah. So that blew my mind. Um, another mind-blowing thing was, so you learn how to... Like if, if there's ever a fire on the boat, was, fires don't happen often, but I was never, one never happened on my boat, but you drill for them all the time. And so whenever a fire happens, you rig a space for ventilation. So it's like rig ship for ventilating uh, engine room or whatever. Mm-hmm. And then essentially the process of that is to open up ventilation vents in that room and then to close the ventilation vents in all the other room and like literally push air like all of the ship's air is going to the compartment where the fire is Mm -hmm. and it's isolated and so you're literally like i in my head when i was like qualifying just you know ventilation it's like oh yeah we're opening vents so that the air can go out that makes sense but what i didn't understand is the other angle of it is not only are you allowing the smoke to escape you're putting positive pressure onto the compartment that has the smoke so the smoke can't get out yeah very cool that blew my mind too (laughs) and so not only are you like literally pushing the smoke out in the fastest way possible you're not allowing the smoke to expand yeah man good stuff when I figured that out I was like (laughs) I am not afraid to be on this boat they have thought of everything (laughs) that's awesome yeah I mean I feel like subs probably have some of the craziest technology because you have to keep a bunch of people alive in this like incredibly inhibitable location yeah yeah. Yeah. So that's why I have some of the most intense technology out there. It was mind blowing. Yeah. It's very cool. Did that jostle any? I don't I really neutrons? don't know if I <laughs> um 
I don't know. I, I'm, like, a bad scientist. Not, like, I don't do a ton of, like, the pop science stuff. Like, I don't yeah. really, like... Because my excuse used to be that I, like, did science all day, so I didn't want to, like, go home and read the I fucking love science page because I, like, lived it. Right. But now I don't live it so much, and I still, like, don't... I don't know. I'm, I, I just think it's all really cool. That's why I love it, and that's why I yeah. did it. But I don't know if I've had, like, a like a high-five moment or, yeah. like, a... That was amazing. I don't know. I don't I'm like sure it. I've had, like, a lot of little ones. Yeah. yeah. And now, now as a as a doctor, everything is just so like blase just, to you. Just like, yeah, oh, Who needs you and that? Einstein communicate <laughs> on. Well, he theoretical, maybe not. Yeah, yeah, nonsense. Uh, uh, I really like the little, like those little simple things yeah. that make a huge. I think those are fascinating. Like the electron decapitator. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh, no, but like those, you know, just like changing the air pressure can make such yeah. a difference. Like. The really simple solutions are like the little nitty gritty problems. Yeah. I think that stuff's really cool. Those are the most, to me, the most impressive things. Like one of, one of the greatest inventions mankind has ever made is, you know, that thing in the Starbucks that you put in the the lip. Beautiful. Or like the fact when you're drinking out of a Starbucks cup and it like isn't really coming out and you poke a bigger hole in the top and it comes out quicker. Like that's some very cool science. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so simple things. Seriously. I think there needs to be a class. Like before you start teaching physics and all these things, there just needs to be class of like cool things that you use every day. <laughs> yeah. And then get kids jazzed about science because they see it every day. Yeah. Because if you... If you're like, all right, kids, today we're going to talk about the Venturi effect and its thermodynamic. (laughs) Yeah. It's like, look, which, like, water is going to pour out of this coffee cup faster. Yeah, yeah. Or coffee. That's that's the stuff that, to me, is so fascinating. I think that's the problem with school. No, I agree. (laughs) I mean... Everybody, people enjoy science. Like, the whole population, like, finds this stuff interesting. Yeah. You just have to do a better job of saying it. Right. And doing it. And there's a whole, you know, people studying physics education and how to do it well. And it's a whole world of things. But it can can be done better. And that's, I mean, people will go into physics because they had one great teacher. Yeah. And people will shy away because they had one bad person. Yeah. Well, that's why I went in the, that's why I went into submarines. The one officer that I respected at the Naval Academy just happened to be my company commander and he was a lieutenant submariner. (laughs) He was Lieutenant Mel Smith. He's going to be, he's going to be like an 18 star admiral one day. (laughs) He's, he is so much, he's, he's so awesome. Yeah. He's the, he's great. He's great. He's really Man, Mel Smith. That makes a difference. That's those those good. I know, right? Yeah, yeah. Um, I, I was going to talk about something. We were talking about inventions, <laughs> people being awesome. Yeah. Oh yeah, I followed a uh, a blogger, a math teacher, and he was a blogger, and oh, he was just teacher. talking about the way that he taught math to his kids and. It's like algebra two, you know, pretty simple stuff in the grand scheme of mm-hmm. things. Um, but he was just saying that, like, the way that he would present his word problems is saying, I have a bathtub. What do you want to know about the bathtub? <laughs> Think of questions and we will answer them together as a class. Mm-hmm. Kids are like, how much water can fit in the bathtub? How quickly can the water, you know, 
what's, you know, how much faster is filling up a bath than a shower? You know, all, like all these questions. Yeah. It's like great questions. And then he had, you know, planned for most of the predictable questions. And he's like, all right, what information do you need to know to figure out the volume of the tub? How wide is it? It's this wide. How deep is it? How long is it? You know, whatever. Yeah. And what assumptions are you making in this calculation? Oh, we're assuming that it's perfectly rectangular. How do we account for the fact that it's curved? <laughs> and then anyway, he just like got kids engaged in what's kind of a silly story, you know? Yeah, yeah. But, but that's so much better than you have a bathtub that has a shower <laughs> head that's extruding water at 6.4, like whatever. Yeah. Like that's silly. So that's what's interesting, because I think a lot of the research shows that's the best way to engage kids and to do that stuff. But the way I learn, I hate that. Yeah. Like, don't give me some open-ended thing. Give me a bunch of numbers. I will do that's the problem. That's a good point. I, I think so strongly in that one. Like, yeah. Uh, so I would have despised a class that yeah. had open-ended something or other's right. questions. Like, what do you mean no. what's in the bathroom? What do you want? Like, tell me what you want and I'll do it. That's, <laughs> that's what I said right. before. Like, I started with that. I... I'm a good rule follower. I'm good. Give me what to do. Well, I guess that's why you succeeded in school. Yeah. And that's why I was was always successful in coursework. (laughs) Yeah. uh, For those, for that reason. Because that's like all of school is taught towards your type of learner. Right. Right. Like I did not learn very well in that environment. Yeah. But I thrived on the submarine. Like when I got to the submarine and I could talk to somebody for 18 hours and learn about all the things I, I did really good when I could have conversations with people and I did really bad when it was just you know, here's a math problem. Go do like, I don't, I I don't, I don't get that. I don't understand that. That's what, yeah, I don't, I don't, I don't have any answers when it comes to education like that. And it's hard because you'll weed, if you do it all one way, you'll weed out the people that learn, right. You know, one or the other. And you have to somehow reach out to all learners. Right. uh, Stuff. Yeah. I have to like loop it back around, but I feel like that's similar in Carl. I mean, not one style of coaching works for every athlete. That's a good point too. And it's the same that you, you know, you're going to lose people if you teach all in one style or, you know, something the other. Yeah. Similar. And just learning how to like change your style based on what, Feedback. how people get, yeah. how people get connected. This, this math teacher blogger guy was talking about personality matching and the way to connect mm-hmm. to the kid who's too cool is to also be too cool. <laughs> it's like, you know, but the, the way to connect to the, you know, the, the person who just loves class and is, you know, front of the row asking all the questions is to be at, like, to match her excitement or his excitement. And, and then the other way is to, like, match the apathy. Like, yeah. eh, whatever, you know, like, th- yeah, yeah. I, I don't know. I, uh, it's probably not that extreme, you know, like, oh, you don't want to do your homework. That's fine. I'm <laughs> cool with that. But, it yeah, it's like that personality matching, I think, is really important. Mm. As coach, I mean, and teachers obviously – good teachers, the teachers that you connect with were able to create that emotional connection with you and get you excited about something. The teachers I remember, certainly the coaches that I remember, certainly. And that's ultimately what I think is when you're in charge of, when you're in charge of educating, whether it's teaching, teaching, you know, coaching people in CrossFit or educating people in physics, whatever it is, I think ultimately at your core, what your role is, is like inspirer. You are there to to light the fuse that allows the person a lifetime journey into something. Mm-hmm. And if you're the person who stomps fuses out, I think that's bad. Yeah. yeah. Right? There's a million different ways to light mm-hmm. fuses, but it's pretty universally accepted to stomp fuses out. <laughs> I mean, there's like, you suck. You're the worst. <laughs> yeah, yeah. 
but that's not to say that holding someone accountable isn't another way of motivating them, mm-hmm. you know? So it's, it's really, it's a delicate dance yeah. we all participate yeah. in this life. People are hard. They're so, that's what, like, I don't know, people who study, like, social science, they like, that's crazy. Like, at least, like, protons do the same thing for the most part, no matter what you tell them to do. Yeah. Like, math, you know, has follows rules, but humans are complicated. Yeah. This Jordan Peterson book, it's, it's called the, the 12 Rules of Life, A Way of Making Order Out of Life's Chaos. And it's so fascinating because he's basically giving you a summary of all of the greatest thinkers in the world and giving you... Like they're cliff notes, cliff notes, mm-hmm. you know? Yeah. And he's going into the archetypal stories of Adam and Eve and talking about human nature and and Arist- Aristotelian philosophy and Freud and all of these great thinkers. And he's, you know, using them all to articulate 12 fairly simple rules. Like, like don't lie. Or at least, or he said, tell the truth. Or at least don't lie. Mm-hmm. Right. Yeah. But then he gives you, I'm listening to it on, on tape on audible or whatever, but he gives you like an hour and a half essay on the psychology of lying mm-hmm. and how the psychology of lying is a destructive human trait and how societies who are built on lies are societies that crumble, but societies that are built on truths succeed and Flourish, grow. Yeah. And he takes it to like, such magnitude, you're like, whoa. <laughs> I guess I shouldn't lie. Right. Yeah. That dress looks ugly. <laughs> <laughs> that dress doesn't look ugly, Juliana. It's beautiful. But it's it's things like that. And I, I do agree that that human nature is so crazy. But it's also, I mean, the same way that that aluminum into silicon is predictable on a spectrum, humanity is kind of the same way, you know, like we all have problems, but they're, you know, outside of some, some extreme problems, right? You know, and I'm not delegitimizing those extreme problems, but outside the, you know, depression, anxiety, nervousness, you know, blank isms, you know, like there's, I don't know, like there, there are solutions the same way that you're not going to, you're not going to do your test and then all of a sudden be like, whoa, <laughs> there's a huge chunk of gold in here. How do we do that? <laughs> yeah, We're <yeah>. rich. <laughs> like you're going to, you're going to get results that are, that are sporadically predictable or predictably sporadic. Yeah. I think, yeah. I think the human kind is kind of like that. Yeah. I don't know. Maybe, maybe I'm totally off. I mean, I'm not, I guess as like a stereotypical scientist, like I get math. Humans are like another, like, yeah. that's, that's a scary other thing. That's true too. Yeah. That's, you know, you've, you've changed my mind just now here in this last two seconds. <laughs> I was, Jordan Peterson is fresh in my mind. Cause I was literally listening to him before, like right before you showed up. And, uh, he was talking about the way that he does, he's a clinical psychologist and he was talking about the way that he does his mm. psycho thing, psychology <laughs> thing, his psychoanalyst, I, I don't know what yeah. to call it, the way that he treats people. And he was talking about imparting his bias onto the person. And he gave, he gave an example of, you know, uh, a woman that he was treating who, whatever, she would get like blackout drunk and then like, couldn't remember if she was raped or not. And that's, that's a big thing. And he was like, he laid out a whole case for how he could convince her that she was. And then he laid out a whole case of how he could convince her that she wasn't. 
And he was like, neither are my job, right? Yeah, my job yeah. is to allow her. Anyway, I can't speak to, to the psychology of yeah, it, but yeah. what I can speak to is the idea that, you know, as humans, we kind of have to, you know, find our own way and figure our own thing out. Yeah. Uh, totally unrelated to the, the rape thing. I shouldn't have brought rape up. Now people are going to be like, what the hell? <laughs> You're saying Yo, sorry. rape's okay? <laughs> no. <laughs> Listen. It's an example. Listen to thing. the whole podcast. Yeah. Read Jordan Peterson and disagree with him. <laughs> You'll know. Yeah. I didn't mean that. <laughs> I don't know. I, I, I think that like, like when you listen to people, you can help them reason for themselves. Yeah. I mean, there's obviously there's like experts in right. psychology and all the, I mean, yeah. I'm, I'm glad that there's people that can do that, but I think that's a... That's not you. Yeah. Yeah. I'm better with right. numbers than humans. Right. Well, the, the, the number person would be like... Like, no, tell that person to, to yeah. do the things to be right. <laughs> yeah. I've been accused of being like a little too robotic at time, you know, just like fix it this way, do X. And you just like, uh, I don't know. Do you think like, do you think too robotic is a negative? Do you think that you can be like you, you clearly have your human skill set. Like you are uniquely great at the things you're uniquely great at. Do you think that? Like, do you think it's important to try to become better at the things you're weak at? Or do you think it's okay just to thrive in the things that you're great at? I think the world needs both, right? You need the people who are expertly good in one thing and just, like, let them dig into that. Personally, I think I would benefit a lot from getting more comfortable in the gray area of things and, yeah. and all that and being trying to force myself to do some creative effort or something because I just hate it. Uh, I guess that would be the same as, as like the CrossFit example. You know, if you're super weak at gymnastics movements, right. would you be better served never doing them? Yeah. You'd probably be better served doing them, right? Which is why every time I show up to a gym, I only do gymnastics movements because yeah. that's what I love. <laughs> exactly. And that's not what I need to be working on. But uh, And there's something to, you know, so that I still love CrossFit. I need to spend yeah. time doing the stuff I love. And there's something to both. Yeah, I agree. Because the things that you're good at give you confidence mm-hmm. and give you enjoyment and you know, all the things that come with that, but the things that you're bad at give you future confidence yeah, and future enjoyment. To work yeah. On. I think, I think, yeah, I think there's a, a lot of parallels in life to that. Yeah. Like that parallel of, you know, work on the things that you're weak at, but also celebrate the things that you're really good at. <laughs> yeah. Like don't, don't think that roboticism is a bad thing. I'm sure there's examples in which I'd be like, yeah, that's way too robotic. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Chill out. Uh, my friend died. I am very sorry. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I don't know. I. Yeah. It's a middle ground. Yeah. For sure. So your weaknesses in, in life would be things like creativity and psychology. <laughs> yeah. 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 All of that. Rolling my eyes when somebody says psychology. <laughs> <laughs> that's right. That's not a real science. <laughs> You're not a real doctor. <laughs> yeah. No, I, I'm, I'm weak in all the things that you're like, I, we're, we're opposites, yeah, right? Like, yeah. did, did you do the personality test? Do you remember? Uh, the only one I always remember, I'm definitely introverted. Yeah. Hard that one. Uh, I don't remember what the other one I think you're ISTJ. Yeah. I, I think we were opposites. Yeah. Literally every letter. <laughs> yeah. Every single letter yeah. is the opposite. I'm an ENFP and I like, oh man, I don't like... I was good at science, like good at science, good at math, but that's not where I naturally just want to wonder. But I'm also bad at art. 
<laughs> I don't know what I'm good at. I have to figure that out. It's extroverted. You're the personality. But it's You're weird. The... I'm not though. I'm like so when I take the when I take the tests, I'm ENFP. I when I take the test in the context of like Sean the gym owner coach, I'm 53% extroverted, 47% introverted. But when I take the test from like Sean not the coach, like 80% introverted. Interesting. Yeah, like yeah. after this conversation, I'm going to sit in the bath and like <laughs> listen to a book. Yeah. And like yeah. when I leave the gym, like like and and that's the sign of introvert extrovert. Like where do you get your energy from? Yeah. It's not I it's not that we or introverts can't connect with people or can't be yeah. engaging or hate people. No, it's not that at all. It's it's do you get energy from being by by yourself or from other people? And definitively, being around people is exhausting. I love it. It's mm-hmm. great, but it wears me down. You know, like, I, like David was out of town last week, and I coached a lot more than I normally coach. And I would come home <laughs> exhausted, like more tired than I've been in a long time. In a long time. Yeah. That's fascinating to me. <laughs> cool. We've been at this for a while. Yeah. A, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Any uh, last words of wisdom? Uh, I don't think so. Sorry for boring everybody with science for That's, a while. Never apologize for that. <laughs> Seriously. Dr. Jess Baker, thanks so much for your time. (laughs) Thanks for having me. Yeah.